does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Jake, you think it'll ever stop raining? Man. And you know, another thing, and I guess this is a good thing, still, anytime you see this, even though it increases, hassle's the wrong word, but I don't know about you, but there was like a significant, to me, higher amount of traffic coming in this morning. Yeah, I mean, I got out of the house a couple minutes later, and I'm always curious, I, I, just like... That does seem to change it also. There's like a five-minute window, yeah, right, where... But no, for just kind of a random Wednesday where, I don't know, potentially you'd have some people on spring break. I don't know if they're starting this early for school systems around the area, but it does sound like Mother Nature's going to rear her ugly head here for the rest of the week and a lot of rain to end things. Good Wednesday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jay Query, and Sam Fritz, who's in... All week long for Mark Dykton doing an excellent job. Um, a little bit behind the curtain for today's show. This first segment typically lasts a little bit longer than most. We we oftentimes take it, you know, 725 right around there. We're going to break a little bit earlier today uh, because Jim Bob Cooter, the Colts offense coordinator, he is going to join us here at the bottom of the hour, hopefully right, you know, 730 crisp. So uh, we're going to break just a little bit earlier and uh, talk with him coming up at 7.30. Joel A. Erickson at 8 and then Dane Fife at 9 o'clock. But looking forward to Jim Bob. Uh, Jake was able to sit in on a press conference with him last week. And nice Southern gentleman and a whole lot to get to. We can talk Gardner Minshew with him. We can't talk Isaiah McKenzie just yet. Yeah, Isaiah McKenzie, the latest in the fold, though. What have we been saying, Kevin? Got to talk wideouts, right? But... The Colts yesterday acquiring one. Um, I guess, first off, your thoughts. If you had to pick, like we know Paris Campbell's on his way out. So is this somebody that would be anticipated to be of the same level of contribution of a Paris Campbell? Lesser, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a little premature to say he is the full replacement for Paris Campbell. But I think he offers some intriguing qualities. And I do think there are some similarities in the two. Um, Isaiah McKenzie, I would argue you f- see and feel his quickness a little bit more than Paris Campbell. Um, Paris Campbell's issue was availability. Isaiah McKenzie's issue, Jake, is dependability on the field, if that makes sense. Yeah. McKenzie will play when he plays, and this is, I think, not stereotypical with speed guys. I think this is often the case with speed guys. There is a ball security question. Um, he has struggled with drops, certainly, the last two seasons, especially early in his career. He struggled with uh, fumbles, but he just brings that speed kind of jitterbug element that I think every team is looking for, and I would argue the Colts have really lacked it. Like, Naeem Hines, a little bit of that, but when you talk about a receiver and you talk about creating separation in kind of the you know, constricted areas of the field, whether it's red zone or third and five, that is where I think McKenzie can help you out. He's a really versatile guy. Um, again, I think he can be a punt returner for you, which obviously with Naheem Hines in Buffalo, that remains a question. He's carried the ball in his NFL career. Um, again, wide out is probably his primary, primarily, primary, primary, uh, primary position, easy for me to say. 
but I, I think it's an ingredient that this offense could use, and I think Shane Steichen is a guy that um, would create really favorable opportunities for him. If you go like trickle-down effect, you know, we had on Norv Turner when Shane Steichen, I can't recall, Kevin, whether it was, I think it was Shane Steichen had either just been hired or we knew that he was about to be hired. Norv Turner, who influenced Shane Steichen. Norv Turner, when we talked to him, what did he tell us? Like, his key player, one of them, he did he, he, he must have said Darren Sproles' name three times, right? How much he loved having Darren Sproles. You know, McKenzie's 5'8". He's a, he's a fast guy. Smaller, I think, than – and I – everybody brace yourself for the name I'm about to drop here. But when you describe him there, it has a Darius Hayward Bay type feel. Like everything's there, but maybe the reliability of the hands. But I do think that he, because of as you mentioned, the different areas where you can plug him in, kind of gives you that one would think that Steichen or that offense is reliant on having that small kind of X factor guy, speed, I, speed and space guy. I could totally see, and again, you know, unfortunately because the deal won't be official till later today, we can't chat with Jim Bob Cooter about it. But I could totally see Jim Bob Cooter, Jake, on a Wednesday this fall, being like, "All right." Uh, where are the seven plays for Isaiah this week? You know, where are the nine plays for him? Like, he has a very specific package of plays that he's lining up in the backfield, maybe lining up as a slot, you know, taking an end around, a reverse, those sorts of things. And with speed guys, when they can make a play with the ball in their hands, you can live with an occasional drop. And again, drops have been a problem for him the last two years. Jake, do you remember when the Colts just routed Buffalo? In Buffalo last year, or I guess two years ago now? Yeah. One of the plays of the game was Isaiah McKenzie coughing it up on a kick return late in the first half, and the Colts punched that in, and that really, I think, started that game into kind of blowout mode. So, again, there's a reason why Buffalo got rid of him last week. Some of it was financial. Um, they saved a little bit with their cap savings. So I don't want to act like this is the cure-all and you shouldn't touch the wide receiver position the rest of the offseason. But I do think he gives you kind of that gadgety type player that, again, I don't think this offense has had here in recent years. Last night, Kevin, I thought of this. We've We've touched on this before. I don't know what exactly this is attributed to. I don't know if it's lack of marketing. I don't know if it's the slowdown of the game. I don't know if it's the evolution of other games. But my mom, we'll go with your mom, right? Um, for that matter, I, Shannon or you know your wife Maddie. I I, I hate to say all women. I, by any stretch, guys and Sam Fritz, your your buddies probably I, that that aren't that if you have friends that are sports fans but not big baseball fans, Kevin, I can't believe last night as I was watching the end of the World Baseball Classic. I don't know if you watched it, mm -hmm. but yeah. you've got the anticipated matchup of Mike Trout coming up in the ninth inning with two outs and Shohei Itani, his Angels teammate, pitching for Japan. And it was pretty electric. Now, it was a little anticlimactic. He struck him out. Trout was struck out. But as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, all of the people that I just mentioned probably know the name Pete Rose or Mike Schmidt or Reggie Jackson. But would they know either of those two names? It's amazing to me that these are not 
Otani is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He's throwing a hundred mile an hour slider to strike out the current best hitter in the game. Yeah, three two count. And if Mike Trout's not the best hitter in the, he's the best hitter in his in the game, and not even necessarily on every night the best hitter on his own team because that's Otani. So, why is it that these two guys, neither one of them, are major household name American stars? Well, I think you have to start with the success they've had as teammates. You know, the Angels have not had that, so you don't get them in October and November or I should say mostly October, where you have standalone playoff games. You just, I mean, no one's watching the Angels on in the regular season here from a market standpoint. Um, I think that's part of it. You know, I, I think Ichiro might have been a little bit different, but I think you do have to acknowledge with Shohei Otani there is a language barrier. I, I and, found this interesting, Kevin. When they were, Did you watch the, afterwards when he was uh-huh, being interviewed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting was, and, and this is not a critique or not, I mean, I it, there probably is an explanation for it, linguistically speaking. As they were asking him questions, he was nodding, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, as if he understood what was being asked, yet he, yet the interpreter still had to interpret for him what was being asked. And yeah. I'm like, is I f- that just a body language thing? I find that Hideki Matsuyama on the PJ Tour, when he won the Masters, it was very similar. Like, he seemed to understand the questions that Jim Nance was asking him, but the translator, I think some of it, Jake, and I certainly remember this from my days of trying to learn Spanish and I didn't do it in front of a camera in front of millions of people there's probably a level of I don't feel totally confident speaking in front of a camera I totally get why he uses a translator with with that so I think it's one thing to hear it and understand it I mean you know I mean not to compare like learning a second language to a young child but Rosie can understand me and then her saying that back to me is a little bit different um to get back to your question I, I Again, I think so much has to do with just the lack of postseason success they've had. And then, two, I just think in general, baseball is just not at the forefront of people's I minds. Know. It's amazing. That it used to be. Because, I mean, some of the biggest stars, Kevin, some of the, 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 the household big star names of, of baseball lore played in an era where games weren't even on television. <clears throat> I mean, I, maybe I'm just showing my age here, but it feels to me like most people still know the name Mickey Mantle or know the name Willie Mays, or know the name even like Lou Brock. Yeah, you know, But that those, was in an era where you got one game a week. And that was in an era where the NFL wasn't the 8,000-pound well, gorilla. Or the NBA. The NBA was right. the nothing also, for sure. And, and I would I don't know how you felt, but and part of this, and I know you and I have had this conversation before, particularly when the Olympics came around or even the World Cup came around, I, I really get into like the USA type of events. And so last night when I'm watching Schorber hit the home run off Darvish to cut it to 3-2, and then it gets to be the ninth inning, and you know Mookie Betts is coming up, and Mike, Mike Trout's coming up, I'm sitting there in bed watching, and I'm thinking, this is the fastest my heart has beat at a baseball game. And part of this is I'm a Reds fan. I should probably you know put my hand in the air for that. <laughs> this is the most I've been locked into a baseball moment in years. Like, I cannot remember even a postseason pitch. And I think the Otani Trout angle of it all, of possibly the two best players of my generation, that had something to do with it. And I mean, like you said, Jake, Otani, I mean, seemed to really have his way with Trout, um, striking him out to end the game on that 3 2 slider. Otani's the MVP uh, of the World Baseball Classic. Jake, to your point about his dual threat ability. 
Seven games for Japan. They went undefeated in the tournament. Otani bat 435 with eight RBIs and five extra base hits. He pitched nine innings. His ERA was 1.86. He had 11 strikeouts. And last night, three up, three down. Well, I guess he got a double play with bets up and had a save and was the MVP. Pretty impressive stuff, yeah, for sure. Pretty, pretty darn impressive. All right, Jim Bob Cooter, he's going to join us at 7.30. So a little abbreviated early segment here. You're listening to Kevin Query on a rainy start to this Wednesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, tonight, north of the border, our coverage will begin at 7 o'clock. It's a 7.30 tip for the Pacers. Obviously, a lot of Canadian connections on the Pacers. Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard, O'Shea Brissett, their first game in Toronto this season. Uh, Jake, the Raptors are right now the ninth seed in the East, but they have been outstanding at home. They've won seven in a row. Uh, They've lost just one home game in the last two months. Arguably the team's two best players, although Pascal Siakam probably has an argument to make, um, are questionable. That would be Scotty Barnes with a wrist injury for the Raptors, and Tyrese Halliburton uh, has been ruled out in recent games. He is questionable for tonight. This is the game every year where it's like the Pacers against a bunch of 6'8 dudes and Fred Van Vliet. Would, would Halliburton be, <clears throat> excuse me, be playing if they were in a playoff hunt? Uh, that's probably a fair question. Uh, Last night in the association, Orlando, Atlanta, Cleveland, New Orleans, Boston, and Oklahoma City all with wins last night. Leading scorer last night in NBA action? Boy, I saw Paul George had an ugly injury. Um, No idea. Jason Tatum, 36. Jalen Brown had 27 as the Celtics beat the Kings, 132-1. Last night in the World Baseball Classic, it was Japan over the United States, 3-2. Shohei Otani struck out his... Angels teammate Mike Trout on a 3-2 slider to end the game. The U.S. cut it to one thanks to Kyle Schwarber. Homer the inning before off you Darvish, but uh, in the ninth, Mookie Betts double play, and then with nobody on, Trout struck out to end the game. Shohei Otani, the deserved MVP of that one, uh, but really a terrific event, and I'll be curious to see if this becomes an annual thing, how they handle it in terms of scheduling. I don't have any great ideas for that, but Going up against March Madness is probably not the best move. You're right, but it is cool, though. I mean, and there was a lot of attention, seemingly at least for the finals. Uh, college basketball, you had mentioned real quick, Kevin. Rick Pitino, now the head basketball coach at St. John's. That means there was an opening at Iona. They did not wait long. They went to Fairleigh Dickinson. Tobin. And Anderson, uh, who apparently was one that they had interviewed at the time that they hired Rick Pitino. So it wasn't necessarily that they were unfamiliar with him until that Purdue game. They were familiar with him. He is the new head coach there. And rumors starting to circulate that Kevin's going to have to bring in Long's Donuts and PBR. Micah Shrewsbury apparently deep in conversation with Notre Dame, Penn State. Fingers crossed. to give a big offer to counter. <laughs> wow. Come on. Get it done, Jack Swarbrick. No excuses. Do you know Shrewsbury? I, I do not know. I've heard great things. I just figured since he's a Notre Dame guy, you'd be excited by that, right? Cathedral guy. Or um, that's what I meant, yeah. Cathedral guy, yeah. Uh, did you see Mike Bray no to South Florida? Oh, really? Um, it sounded like he interviewed, but two parties going in a different direction. Mike Bray potentially into TV, which I think would make a lot of sense for him. I think he'd 
probably not give South Florida his best effort, if I'm going to be totally honest <laughs> with you. Um, all right, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, Colts offense coordinator. He joins us next. Jake, I was told that our next guest is an excellent dart player. Oh, like Ted Lasso. Excellent dart player, and he certainly hit the bullseye and calling in on time. I don't know if we've ever, in the history of the show, I don't know if we've ever had a guest call into the show five minutes early. But Jim Bob Cooter, the new offensive coordinator for the Colts, just did that. Uh, Coach, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the on-hold music there. Apologies for that. Yeah, I, I uh, don't get to hear a lot of that, so it was... It was it was good. That's why I called in early. I wanted to wanted to check you guys out behind the scenes. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that for that background. Um, how how's the last month been? I know this is your second stint here in Indy. I'm sure it's been a bit of a whirlwind and trying to cram together before free agency and obviously uh, the draft upcoming next month. Uh, but what's the last month been like for you? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's always crazy. Um, you know, after the previous season when you when you get to a new Spot, get to a new job, get to a new city, um, all the stuff that needs to be done. And obviously, we're 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 working hard to to get all that done. But it's been it's been great to be back here in Indy. Uh, like you said, I spent spent three years here as a young coach, and to be able to you know see a lot of the people, see a lot of the city, and obviously a ton of the, ton of the folks that still work around the building here. It's it's been really fun. How much coach of like when you come in and you start to assess obviously the the offense that you want to run. And you look at the personnel that's there. You know, this is a, a time when rosters are always kind of in flux. How much direct say do you have in terms of you know what? I think this is the kind of player we could use, or this is the kind of player we lack, or we're not using this guy enough, etc. What is the process of assessing your current roster and then making your wish list, if you will? Yeah, I think uh, organizationally we have a we have a lot of discussions, right? The, the front office guys. Uh, ask us for our opinion uh, on a lot of different areas, a lot of different things, and then we want to we want to have an informed opinion. So we're we're watching a, a lot of tape of our guys playing. We're watching a lot of tape of you know maybe free agents, maybe draft picks, uh, all the all the stuff that uh, you know wouldn't surprise anybody at home. But we're we're doing all that background work on guys, um, and then you know we'll, we'll have those discussions internally, and and you know sometimes we have meetings about them. Sometimes it's a little more informal discussion and. You know, you want to make sure you're prepared with uh, what what avenues you think are best uh, to improve the team, improve the roster, and ultimately, you know, our job is to coach coach these guys and go out and find a way to score some points and win some games. But uh, this uh, this is a important time of year to to make sure you're or we are kind of you know on top of, of the personnel game in in the NFL and, and keeping an eye on everybody. And like I said, a lot of times, coach, coaching wise. Um, we watch a lot of tape. We write a lot of reports, and we we try to have opinions. You will be bringing in, or the Colts are bringing in, obviously a quarterback in Gardner Minshew, with which you're familiar, working with him um, over the course of your career as well. Shane Steichen, that also is true for. In your anticipation, is Gardner Minshew a guy that you look at to be the one that's going to be running your offense next year, or is he in a tutorial role for a younger player that will be brought in? I think we're. You know, we're first off. I'm I'm really excited to work with Gardner again. He's uh, he's really fun to be around, really fun to work with, and and really really valuable valuable guy for the organization. No matter no matter how it ends up shaking out, um, I think really we're at the process as a staff as a as an offense of kind of evaluating every position at this time, like including quarterback. Right, we're 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 trying to get good players in here, and 
you know, guys that we think can help us help us get better. And we're not, I don't want to, I'm not going to put up, put up, put a certain button on a certain guy to, to be a certain role at this point as, as much as just, you know, get everybody in here, evaluate everybody, get a little competition going and, you know, try to, try to make our offense better. So like I said, I am really excited to work with Gardner again. He's like, he's, he's one of a kind type of guy and uh, that'll, it'll be fun. It'll be fun being back with him. He's Jim Bob Cooter. He's the Colts offensive coordinator. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline last year in, in Jacksonville. And I thought you made a really interesting comment when you met the media last week, Jim Bob, and that you said you've observed the quarterback position has kind of evolved over the years where guys have a few more tools to work with. Could you kind of expand on that and whether it was with a guy like Trevor Lawrence or it is evaluating this 2023 draft class what do you mean by a few more tools to work with? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in every position, there are different ways to succeed and, and especially different ways maybe that have, that have succeeded in the past. Um, and, and the game, the game evolves a little bit and, and the players do as well. The players, um, you know, guys that are guys that are talented in different ways. Sometimes as years go, you know, 15, 20, I'm sure, you know, talks just like some college recruiting Type guys, you might hear some of the same stories. Guys uh, end up sort of seeing that certain certain attributes play well at different positions. So you're seeing different types of guys, really at all sorts of positions that that maybe wouldn't have been there in the 1990s or the 1980s. And you know, from a quarterback perspective, you know, I, I would say we're seeing generally, you know, generally, I think it's fair to say the the position as a whole in the NFL. Um, is a little more athletic at this moment maybe than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and, and honestly, just because, you know, there's value to evading a rush. There's value to escaping the pocket and making a play downfield, throwing the ball. There's value to scrambling for a third down and, and, and getting a first down that way. And, you know, uh, the, if there's value there, then if I'm a young young kid and I can play quarterback and I can, I can do some of that stuff, then, then maybe I'll play quarterback. And that's, that's what we're seeing a little bit more of, I think. Um, you know, there's still, there's, there's all sorts of different guys and there always will be, but uh, you know, the more tools you have to succeed, better chance you have to succeed, right? Like, you know, you, you, you build a house, uh, you, you, you build a house, but you don't have a hammer. That's, that's a little bit harder than, than, than having every tool available at Home Depot. Right. So the more tools we have to succeed, um, and that, that really kind of goes for our whole offense. But that, that's, I think that's true of the quarterback position. It's a great analogy, by the way. I was hoping you were going to make a dart analogy um, to get back to that. But, um, yeah, well, I was going to not touch that. I was going to not touch okay. that. I think I've gotten a little rusty. Uh, it's, it's maybe been a while. But. Uh, I think yeah, once you have it, I, I don't think you ever truly <laughs> lose it, to be honest with you. Um, again, Jim Bob Cooter is with us. I'd say one of the more popular questions I've gotten, and, and this goes for a lot of offense coordinators that don't call plays, but you know, I think fans are curious, like, what does Monday through Saturday look like for you on a weekly basis? And what does Sunday look like for you when you're not calling plays? You know, so much focus is that, but obviously you're doing a whole hell of a lot outside of, you know, Shane's role on Sunday, getting the most scrutiny. So what does a game week look like for you as the OC? Yeah. yeah and, and honestly, I think that's, that's something that we have to have discussions on and, and make sure we're on the same page on uh, when we get to that time, you know, like you, you, you guys alluded to earlier it's a it's a it's a crazy part of the year for us we're doing a ton of personnel we're putting the playbook together um some of those some of those in-season specifics uh, are things we would we would talk about in the future but i'll just say 
you know, I think my role will be to do everything I can to, to help this offense succeed. Uh, and specifically, as you know, what we do as a coaching staff around the building here, maybe when the players aren't around uh, to help Coach Steichen with, with everything he needs to, to get prepared for the week, to get organized for the week. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things that go on here behind the scenes. And ultimately, you know, if you're not calling the plays, you're, you're, you're helping the guy that is and you're helping the players. And that's, you know, that's a simple way to look at it. But that's really, the, I think, the right way to look at it. Like, whatever I can do to help, I think, you know, that's what I'll be asked to do. And I'll try to find my best path to, to help this team get better. Coach, I respect the fact that it would be naive of me for you to, to give specific names here. So I'm not asking that per se. But in this draft, there are, by all account, four quarterbacks that appear to be those that will go fairly early in the draft. And I'm curious from your expertise and perspective, how big a gap is there from the first to the fourth when you assess them? Uh, well, I'm just going to say that uh, it's a really fun draft class to look at. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed sort of getting going on that process, watching tape of the guys, trying to kind of find out a little bit more about these guys behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be in the mode of, of ranking guys or, or sort of sort of answering your question, I guess would be the, the true way to say it. But, uh, but it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun group to look at. It's, it's really been, uh, like I said, been a good group to, to watch and learn and, and really, really think about, who they might be in the future. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that process. I think a lot of us around the building here are. Will you go to pro days? And what do you find beneficial about getting some one-on-one -on -one interactions with these guys, whether it is at a pro day, private workouts, top 30 visits, et cetera? Uh, I'm, I'm without getting into specifics, I'm sure we'll, we'll have some interactions with these guys and, and that'll be, you know, it's, it's really important to get to know, get to know, you know, the draft picks, get to know the young, the young guys coming out of college and get to know guys that could, could potentially be uh, joining your team, especially through the draft. Like every year, uh, every year we have these, these different, these different methods, these different ways to communicate with guys and interact with guys. And I've found that to be really valuable over the years um, to kind of know who you're bringing onto your team, who you're bringing onto your roster um, and, and, and how you're moving forward with those type of guys. So, yeah, we're, I'm excited to to get to interact with those guys whenever the whenever the time comes and keep some of the details of that in house. But uh, like I said, it's it's a good group. It's an exciting group to look at. My last question for you, Coach Jim Bob Cooters, our guest, the offensive coordinator for the Colts on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Um, I realize you worked with and know both these guys now from a professional standpoint. But if I'm not mistaken, you went to high school to the same high school that years before you Kelly Holcomb had played and then obviously you grew up in Tennessee when Peyton Manning was playing both of them were Colts quarterbacks you, the bigger hero for you as a kid was which well that you know like I said you try not to rank anybody you know make somebody make somebody angry but boy it was uh you know kind of growing up uh like you said Fetville Tennessee the the Lincoln County Falcons was the big high school and then everybody <laughs> went to Everybody went to, to Friday night to the game down at the pit. That's what they call the the, oh, love the field down there. And Kelly Holcomb it sure was fun to watch back then. And you know, obviously, like you said, growing up a growing up a Tennessee fan, watching Peyton do what he do what he did, and then getting the chance to work with him at a few different spots, including here in Indy. Obviously, uh, not 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 going to rank anybody because I don't want to make a state or a county mad at me. But <laughs> but uh, both those guys are pretty cool. Um, 
just walking around the building here, you know, getting a chance to look at some of the old teams. You know, they have some of the old team pictures up on the wall and uh, obviously being lucky enough to be a part of some of those. But then, like you said, every now and then you walk by one and you go, oh, there's, there's Kelly Holcomb right next to Peyton Manning. And that, that's kind of a cool, cool background story. So, uh, Does Jim Bob Cooter have a favorite indie establishment that maybe he ventured to a decade ago that uh, now he's back here? He's like, you know what? Hey, I kind of forgot about that place. Well, I haven't been I haven't been venturing out too much, but uh, I'll, show, I'll have to dig into the dig into the old archives and, and get back to all the all the all the good old restaurants and and stuff around the around town. Make sure I get to get to experience the city. Have it's, you ever been just Jim, or has it always been Jim Bob? Uh, it's always been Jim Bob. Yeah, and I haven't been just Jim. Although, you know, from time to time, you, you have a couple different. Uh, names i guess you, you get called a little bit of everything as you move around the country but uh yeah it's always been jim bob all right he is jim bob cooter he will be the offense coordinator for the colts under shane steichen here this season and hopes obviously for many more to come after that uh jim bob really appreciate the time this morning i know it's busy with pro days and all that starting so uh thank you for that and uh looking forward to talking to you again this fall all right appreciate it guys have a good one it's jim bob cooter Right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jake, the first, I would say, mega quarterback pro day is actually today. That will be C.J. Stroud later this afternoon with Ohio State's pro day. And then, ironically enough, Bryce Young tomorrow with Alabama. Will Levis Thursday, or I guess Friday, with Kentucky. So they spaced those three out. Um, Each day this week, Anthony Richardson will be a week from tomorrow with Florida. I think the important thing to remember about pro days, I would argue it's the one of the best times for members of your organization to get the important members of your organization to attend these and to get specific intel from head coaches, offensive coordinators, quarterbacks coach, strength coaches, et cetera, et cetera. You can do that there. I don't think any of them really care about how these guys throw in those settings because they control the script at a pro day, you know? Ohio State has been working on, all right, CJ, let's make sure you feel super comfortable in the 50 throws you're going to have today. I think where you can get a little bit more into the, hey, I want to see you make some NFL throws that fit our offense, that's when you do the private workouts. And a guy like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis in particular, two guys that have some more throwing-specific questions, um, I think getting them into private workouts where you run the show, you run the script, that's where I think you could find some physical benefit from it did you notice when he answered the question about and look is this me reading into things maybe it's part of our job not our job but you know to analyze things is what we do when he answered the question about quarterback and style of play of quarterback what did you take from that Kevin what did he say there is something to be said about quarterback in today's day that The position is becoming more athletic. There's a value to being able to scramble or draw plays on third down, run the football with your quarterback. Of the four that that are thought to be the four in play, I think Stroud can run the ball a little bit. I think Ohio State fans probably at times were wanting him to run more, quite frankly. And I haven't seen a lot of Levis, admittedly. But did it sound to you like he was describing Richardson? Um, not directly. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying I, I didn't. I, I don't know if that's what I took away. I, I let me rephrase that because that's unfair to him. 
not that he was describing Richardson, did the kind of did the style of play he was describing to you feel like it was the best fit for Anthony Richardson versus the others? Yeah, again, I'd probably have to go back and listen to it, Jake, to really pin that down. I, I didn't get that initial vibe. I, I think in generalities, it was more of just the position has evolved to where, I mean, look at all four of them, Jake, in Stroud and Levis and Richardson, and in Bryce Young's case, they all have a leg element to the game. Um, obviously, Richardson's is much more dynamic and much more of a running element. Um, but I think if you really kind of – because I asked him the question about how the position has evolved, and I think that's where the biggest change has happened. I think if you were to ask Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen, Jim Bob Cooter what trait you want to outweigh more than any other, it would either be how the individual is wired and then, two, just how accurate of a passer is he more than the leg run threat element but again they might not have a choice for a cj stroud or a bryce young if you think that that hypothetical will be played out with one of them going one or them going two i did see a report last night the panthers met with cj they're sending a whole big party up to columbus for today's pro day they met with cj stroud last night and they're going to do a private workout with him in charlotte uh, before the draft, which is a month away. I think it's also worth mentioning when you talk about the Colts and what like pro days mean to Chris Ballard. It was the Notre Dame pro day that signed, sealed, and delivered his belief in Quentin Nelson as being worth the six overall pick. And it was a private workout down in Cincinnati a couple years ago with, or I guess last year, with Alec Pierce that kind of cemented that as well. So again, I think this is a important time to where Maybe your board, quote-unquote, doesn't shift a whole lot, Jake, but in the eyes of Chris Ballard, when he can get one-on-one in-person interaction with individuals that either he wants to draft or individuals that have been a part of those college programs of guys he wants to draft, I think this is kind of the stamp of approval on them. That's what this but period is all about. your point that you, I can tell when it happened, were not pleased with, to your point, if – during the pro days, the Colts determined that there is a quarterback that they want more than anybody else. They now are in a position where they don't have that luxury, right? Correct. And I don't think in any way, shape, or form they could do anything to give it up to number one or two. Right. And that's why, again, I've been an advocate of trading up to three because if at some point here, and Will Levis's pro day will be Friday and Anthony Richardson's pro day will be a week from Thursday – what you don't want if you're the Colts is a noticeable, visible gap between those two, right? If you do notice that gap or you do feel that gap, then you have to trade it. That's what I mean. Right. So if, if, if those two— And you two... want to find that gap, Jake, before another team finds it. You want to find that before the Raiders find it at 7 or before the Falcons find it at 8 or the Titans at 11. I mean, those are the things I think— If you, you believe have... it exists. What I'm saying is they may, they may go through it and go, hey, you know what? This is Boardwalk and Park Place. We're good. But if they go through it and say, okay, one of these guys is clear cut better than the other one, then they got to make a move. That's what they got to determine, right? I used to throw darts at uh, Ralston's a decent amount. On Where's Mass Ralston's? Ave. Okay. I, you know, I don't know that I've ever. I'd I mean, say it's like the midway point of Mass Ave, maybe a little bit north of the midway point. I feel like with darts. It's a nice establishment. Did, did you throw the actual like corkboard? you know, stick in dart, or was it like the plastic thingies? Because the, the plastic ones never stick. 
Oh, the pl- I mean, yeah, plastic ones. You might as well not even have a dartboard. Right. I mean, you throw that, and you're like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, how good are you at darts? I, I don't know yeah. that I've... I'm not going to act like I'm... I, I get the impression Jim Bob Cooter knows what he's doing with the dart. He sounded like he was... Yeah, he's just... You know how he is. He's being Ted Lasso, right? 1,000%. Now... You ever watch darts on TV? It's electric. Uh, okay. I'll take the challenge right now, Kevin. You and me and darts, winner faces Jim Bob Cooter. Here we go. Sam Fritz, are you a dart? I don't know there was a Throw? challenge that was being presented. I'm sorry. I'm presenting a challenge right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, about that. And I'm accepting on behalf of the uh, Colts offensive coordinator. Now, I did notice yesterday you called Tony East Mr. East. You did not call Jim Bob Cooter Mr. Cooter. Well, uh, we had I a mean, conversation about that off air, actually, to, to, to pull the blind back a little bit. And, uh, you know, we all kind of, I think, silently agreed on coach being the proper term to address him as when he calls in. So yeah, that's fair. Not to say that, you know, several hours worth of thought didn't go into it. Yeah, I well, I... That's why you're such a well-prepared producer. I, I did read an article on Jim Bob Cooter and, and the name, and I do think in the South, Jake, and, and where is this high school exactly? I know you asked him about that. Uh, Fayetteville, Tennessee. That the, the double name, you know, Jim Bob, I think that is a little bit more popular in SEC country. Oh, you think? John Parker, you Wilson. Think? And I also think if they're both monosyllabic, it helps, right? Well, how about that? Talk about it, the early SAT word. What's that? Can you spell that for us? Monosyllabic. M O N O S Y L L A B I C. Monosyllabic. Oh, never mind. Sorry, you got it right. <laughs> he was quick on the buzzer there. I mean, <laughs> I was like, wow, Sam Fritz has got that word pulled up right now. I, yeah. I was typing it out, and Google had it auto completed completely differently, and then I hit enter, well, and the, the right word shows up. Well, little do you know, Sam, that you're looking at Google right over there in Jay Corey's brain. Uh, Joel um, Erickson going to join us in about 10. Uh, Dane Fife coming up at 9. Which, which things in, in bars, darts, let me give you a couple of bar games. You tell me if you've played them, Kevin. You ready? Golden Tea. Oh, yeah. I've never played Golden oh Tea. Can you gosh. believe that? Uh, Blasphemy. Broad, Broad Ripple Tavern, I've probably put 70 bucks in that. They game. had... I'm glad the Bulldogs got At Average too. Joe's in about 1996 or 7, they had a bank of four sit-down Indy 500 video games, and it was totally realistic. Whoa. Tell me more. It was the best. What year would this have been? I'm going to guess late 90s. And they only had it for a couple of years. But I would I worked at Hardwick's, the cigar store, and I would go over like after work and, and sit down in the thing and put a couple bucks in it. And I... I basically figured out the nuances of the game and i was literally i was like rick mears on that thing i had the fastest <laughs> lap i had the fastest four lap average i had the fastest race i mean it was unbelievable I, I i was terribly addicted to it and then i would basically i was a ringer on it i would just say to people like hey they got this video game like you should go try it so you and weren't a pool shark you're an indy 500 video game shark. It's, and i've never been a video game guy i'm, I'm yeah, not you don't strike video me games. as one no and i'm not i don't have the hand-eye coordination necessarily for them were you a billiards player, pool player? Sure, sure. What, is there talk, was there talk of an Indy 500 video game? I know there was a lot of talk of this, you know, Netflix-type documentary there, series. There was, there was an IndyCar video game that was supposed to come out. I don't know where things stand with that. That was like two years ago they announced that. I, I don't know where things stand with that. I, seems like it would be a, a good way to get like the – I think I've told you before – Video game and the the presence, the power of video games is very easily, to my era, 
seen by NHL 94 on Sega. When I was in college, and anybody who right now is in their late 40s, early 50s is in their car right now, and they're like, hell yes. Sega, Genesis, the two biggest games, Bill Walsh's college football and NHL 94. Everyone was playing NHL 94 and then and, – and like figuring out their teams they liked and getting to know players. And, I mean, none of us were hockey fans. But everybody was like, oh, my gosh, I love, you know, Pavel Bure. And then the NHL went on lockout. And it and by the time they came back, we were on to the next thing. I feel like the uh, FIFA video game for my age group uh, – That's fair, yep. – would qualify as that, which is kind of interesting how, you know, two non-major, major sports in the United States would have those sports be – Pretty prominent video games. Um, again, we uh, Gardner Minshew to the Colts is official. Isaiah McKenzie to the Colts. Uh, it sounds like that's going to be later today, so that's why we couldn't ask specifically Jim Bob Cooter about him. Um, going back to Isaiah McKenzie here for a second. I This is a guy that um, I think he's a pretty unique dude off the field. You know, Typically with the speed guys, I know you're stereotyping a bit, but they can be some outgoing personalities. I think McKenzie is certainly that. Um, and Jake, if you look at his career – um, for those that missed our discussion about it earlier, this is great speed, lines up all over the field, and the biggest issue for him has been inconsistencies with drops and earlier in his career more than later, uh, but fumbles. He's had a really high drop rate each of the last two years. But again, when you have his speed, and I don't think it's just straight line. I think the lateral speed should be noted as well. Like. Not to get too technical, Jake, but I feel like the Colts have not had that guy that, like, on third and five, he just puts his foot in the ground, and all of a sudden, he's created separation, he's open, right. and there's a seven-yard game, right. and you're moving the sticks. Like, if you look at the Colts' receivers, they're power forwards. I think the Colts needed to get the – they needed to get the fairly Dickinson point guard. They need to get the little jitterbug that you just can't really keep in front of you. McKenzie has that ability. Battleships, right? Takes him too long to turn around. Well said. You know? Well said. Um, Joel A. Erickson going to join us next? Joel A. Erickson. Again, it's Pro Day week around college football. Ohio State's today. Um, tomorrow you'll have Alabama, and then Kentucky will be on Friday. Uh, also, owners' meetings next week out in Arizona. I believe Joel's going to be out there for that. That will be a conversation with Jim Ursay. Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen. So obviously getting some thoughts on free agency and the activity the Colts have had. And with Ursay, just more of a probably what you think the outlook is for 2023 and beyond for the franchise. So we'll chat with Joel about that uh, coming up next here. Kevin Aquaria on a rainy Wednesday. You know, the lyrics to that song originally say everyone's a winner. That does not include, if I'm not mistaken, Joel A. Erickson's alma mater. Am I correct that Joel's a Missouri? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Free guy. I was going to say, for one game until the other Tigers got them, right? Yeah, man, but I, I thought about Joel A. Erickson as I was watching the Missouri-Princeton game because I'm like, nothing – in. it said more about Princeton than Missouri. I don't think it's even a slight of Missouri, but I didn't expect it to go that route. Joel joins us this morning on the Palo Sickers Hotline, and I'm sure is thrilled to be doing so with that introduction here at 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. Joel, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm doing a little worse now. I was, telling, I was telling my friends last week, you know, it's the first year with a new coach in Missouri. They beat Utah State. you gotta, you got to win in the tournament. 
you're feeling like it's house money from then on, and then Princeton beats Arizona, and all that house money stuff goes out the window, and the next thing you know, you've lost a 15 seed again. So, not not great, not great uh, on on last Saturday night. But you know the the to be, real to be kick fair, that's becomes... happened each of the last three years with Oral Roberts and St. Peter's too. The seven ten matchup yeah. gets to see the 15 seed, and they think, oh yeah, we're going to the Sweet 16, and boom. That's the thing is the tournament, Joel. I think like the cruelty of the NCAA tournament is you find yourself looking beyond the bracket for your team and finding the avenues that you convince yourself of, of, oh, man, this just completely opened up for us, and then boom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and there also is the, the hard part of no matter how uh, how the season went, because, you know, in, in Missouri in Missouri land, we've, we've all felt pretty good about the way Dennis Gates handled the first season. No one expected them to be really in the tournament, much less, you know, be have a have a uh, be in the top four in the SEC and and play pretty well, and then you end up losing to Princeton and it just, it just colors it a little bit. I mean, Kansas did lose; that did help. Uh, Kansas losing yeah. at the same time helped a little bit, but it, now, it didn't completely. Joel, save I asked my buddy who's a huge Kansas fan if it was if the blow was softened because Missouri lost, and he's like, nope. It still hurts. Oh, oh, they don't. They don't. They don't feel the same way about us that we do about them. We're, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I thought you just cracked a PBR when I heard that. You know, like pop that? over there. What? Yeah. What do you got there? Rockstar punch. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Joel A. Erickson is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, it's a pro day week. Which, when you have a top five pick and you have the quarterback question, uh, and you see, oh boy, Ohio State, C.J. Stroud today, uh, Bryce Young, Alabama tomorrow, Will Levis, Kentucky, on Friday, Anthony Richardson next week. Um, obviously, you know, that gets a little bit more on the attention front. Um, I believe you are owners meetings bound next week. Will you be pro day bound at all this week? Uh, Nate is pro day bound. Nate Atkins is headed to the pro days. I believe he's in Columbus right now. Um, we might've had to miss out on Bryce Young. So he could go to Anthony Richardson. I think that makes yeah, sense. Nate is handling I handle the owner's meeting. Hell just happened. Are you, are you connecting to Bluetooth, Joel? Oh. <laughs> uh, I think I, I I did not mean to. I did not mean to connect to Bluetooth. That was an accident. How are now, things on the moon? Now you sound great. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. All good. Um, okay, so <laughs> pro day for Nate Atkins this week. Pro days, I should say. And then you to the owner's meetings next week. Um, on the Isaiah... Isaiah McKenzie front, do you believe this is your day one slot starter, wide receiver, number three, fully ingrained in the Paris Campbell role, plus potentially punt returns? Yeah, uh, it, he seems to be – it seems to be a pretty clear one-for-one one there. I, you know, I think that you probably end up drafting somebody in the hopes that they uh, can take that from McKenzie. I, Isaiah McKenzie's been productive in Buffalo, but he had a chance to take over Cole Beasley's role last year and just didn't really do it the way Buffalo wanted to. I mean, obviously Buffalo just released him after signing uh, two receivers, you know. And so I think ultimately you, you, wanna, you want somebody to – you either want McKenzie to, to make the most of an opportunity he didn't quite take advantage of last year or you're going to want someone to take that role. Um, but – in the meantime, this is uh, this is the, uh, the 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 Paris Campbell replacement. 
Joel, what would you say aside from Joel Erickson is our guest? He's with the Indianapolis Star. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Uh, aside from the obvious, which is who is going to be the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, what would you say has developed into the second biggest question about this franchise in the offseason that has yet to be answered? Uh, I I just want to know, you know, is this team is this team comfortable with the idea that um, they might be uh, taking stock, treading water, however you want to say it, next season with with the rookie quarterback uh, in his first season, and and not necessarily competing for you know the division because uh, that's that's kind of what I've thought is with is the way they'd be heading and you know the Stephon Gilmore move and a couple other things make it seem that way but I know that there's a significant portion of the fan base that feels like um you know for Chris Ballard's sake they need to win and win now but I'm, I'm not sure I I'm not sure I think that that's the case and I think that's that's kind of one of the the things that I'm wondering is is, is does this team look at this as you know they're they're back in rebuild mode a little bit and and because because it's probably going to be a rookie quarterback, because uh, the quarterback of the future may not be at at his fully formed uh, starter capabilities by that point, are, are they comfortable with you know maybe having to tread water a little bit this season on a competitive standpoint? And he's Joel A. Erickson. He's with us here from the Indianapolis Star on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, what do you think the percentage is that they stay at pick four and don't take a quarterback? Uh, I think it might be as high as as fifty or sixty. Um, someone's got to come up. Yeah, well, someone's someone's got to come up to someone's got to want to come up to Arizona's pick. Um, and you need uh, so it it kind of looks like the Raiders would, would maybe be the the team that's in that. I I keep thinking that Seattle is interesting, but is is Arizona going to trade? the third pick to Seattle so they can draft a quarterback. Um, I mean, maybe, I mean, you probably, maybe you should if, if, if you're getting a big enough haul. Um, but yeah, I think there's a chance that, I think there's a chance the Colts don't feel like they need to move up at all. I've asked this maybe to you even, Joel, before, but it seems like it's almost an evolving question. Aside from quarterback, which is the obvious, and I think corner back is also probably applicable here but what is an area of need for the Colts that is on the burner now more so than you would have guessed at the end of last year it was going to be corner back definitely um you know with just the sheer volume of snaps being gone 1500 snaps are gone from this from this roster um and they don't they don't necessarily have the the type of cornerback bodies right now that that we're used to seeing from Gus Bradley defenses. Um, I, I don't know that this is one we didn't think about at the at the end of the year, but offensive line depth and competition on the interior and swing tackle it just feels like it feels like they need a lot more there and a lot more competition that we haven't seen yet. Um, and so offensive line. I'm kind of waiting for, you know, when's, when's the move there? When, when is there going to be a move there at, especially on the veteran route? Um, they did pick up a, 
they did claim on a veteran offensive lineman off of waivers from the Cowboys in January who plays center and guard. But other than, I mean, I, I thought that they were, there's probably going to be more moves than that. Um, and, and, you know, you wonder like if, if they're going to trade up or whatever they're going to do in the draft, are, are you going to have enough picks to fill some of those with the, the first day picks? So offensive line is another one that I, I keep thinking of. And then, um, you know, this is more draft than free agency, but I'm assuming there's going to be a developmental linebacker pick. Yeah, I think that's a good point you bring up about, you know, wanting to make sure that you address things in free agency. So therefore, when you get into the draft, you don't feel like you're forced into certain positions. If a guy is available at, you know, 35 or pick 80 in the third round, that just because he might not play a position of, you know, uber importance that you feel like you've done enough in March to where, you aren't kind of pigeonholed into that. Um, kind of on that note, Joel, of offensive line and corner. And again, Joel A. Erickson from the Stars with us here. He's off to the owners' meetings next week in Arizona. Ryan Kelly and Kenny Moore, uh, if I'm not mistaken, those guys got owed some bonuses over the weekend. I don't think they were massive. You know, I'm talking like a million or less. I'm not talking like Matt Ryan type bonus that he would have been due last Friday. Um, but the fact that those two are still on the roster this late into the month of March and the fact that you did pay them some bonuses over the weekend, does that indicate to you that those two will be on the team this fall? That's that's kind of the way I'm – that's kind of what I'm thinking. And p- part of it is just, you know, what Chris Ballard said about, you know, whether or not they were going to let go of veterans at, at the Combine. He said, those guys have been good Colts. We want to do right by them. And, you know, putting them on the market now after spots have been filled and their market would be dried up, especially a guy like Kelly, um, who plays, you know, a position that there's essentially one starter in each in each NFL city. I mean, not, not that he wouldn't be able to get a job, but in terms of getting the market he wants, I, I don't know that you'd, you'd get that if that happens. Well, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that both those guys are back. More uh, also, I mean, just what else they've done at cornerback or haven't done at cornerback makes me think that Kenny Moore is going to be back because you need someone to start at that cornerback position. Um, you know, I know they love Dallas Flowers' talent, but I don't know if he just handed over to him at this point in his career. So Yeah, I think yeah, they need I, two I, corners, frankly. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think they need two corners, I'm assuming, of the taller variety. Um, and the, the thing is, there, there are some of those guys still out there on the market. The corner market has been a little slower. Um, and that's a position that they've signed late in the past and gotten good one-year returns out of. Um, but, yeah, they, they definitely need at least two. Joel, when you've, I guess, asked around or read around about this draft, if you were a franchise, in terms of this year's NFL draft, the position that has the least depth, so in other words – if you were a franchise in dire need of blank position, this would not be the year for you because you'd be in for some real bad drafting. That position is what? Well, the one that everyone was talking about at the Combine is that after years and years of these super deep wide receiver classes where you can get starters in the second and the third round, everyone was talking about how this, this year this year is the year that there's not those guys. That this, is a, this is a much thinner wide receiver class. You don't necessarily see – um, wide receivers being projected way up as possibilities in the top five. Um, you know, there, there's it, it just doesn't it thins out a lot faster than it has in the past. And I think 
I think the indication that that's probably true is just the way the Bears have operated over the past year, um, you know, including wide receivers and all these trades. I think that that's, uh, that's somewhat of an indication that they're looking ahead and going, we might not be able to get Justin Fields any help, uh, immediate help in, in either free agency or the draft. So we're going we're gonna to go get ours uh, where, wherever we have to to make sure we have it. it, it wide receiver has been – for the last, it feels like almost a decade. It feels like every time you get there to the combine, people are like, "Man, there's just so many wide receivers." And this year, this year was the opposite. This year, it's thin. Yeah, it feels like tight end got a lot of the praise, honestly, from a skills position standpoint versus wide receiver at the combine. Uh, Joel A. Erickson from the Stars with us, and I'm glad you brought up the Bears and that trade with Carolina. Um, you know, I think something interesting that Chicago did with that trade. They didn't get a ton of draft picks necessarily for this year. They got a first-rounder for 2024. They got a second-rounder for, for 2025. And I think in a way that's their you know, management saying, hey, if we need to pivot from Justin Fields, we have a little bit of ammo in future drafts to do that. I bring that up in regards to Lamar Jackson and the Colts. Because, Joel, I, I think one of the reasons why I would be hesitant, it's not the most important reason or the biggest reason why I, I'd be hesitant, but you also have to give up two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. And let's say you do this move in May, and all of a sudden Lamar Jackson has injury history that we've seen the last two years that pops up again in 2023, pops up again in 2024. You don't have first-round picks in the 2024-2025 draft to pivot and try and go a different route at that position. How much does that weigh on you when you think about making a move for him? Well, uh, I, I think it's significant. I also think it's significant, um, maybe not in terms of a decision, because if you, if if what's reported has been true, that, that Jackson wants guaranteed money in those first three years, then you're assuming he's going to be the quarterback regardless of his injury history. I mean, maybe you want to get a developmental guy behind him, but um, – you're assuming he's going to be the quarterback, but in terms of building the team around him, I mean, I think that's the only move left where if the Colts did it, we would say, okay, all of a sudden the expectations are flipped again and we're looking at this team as can it contend for the AFC South? Is this a playoff team? And you give up the two first-round picks, you've given up however much how much in guaranteed money, then you're, then you're going, okay, we, we, they traded Stephon Gilmore away, they have a quarterback who can contend for the AFC South, but what are they going to do to fix the rest of the roster around him? Um, and so I, I do think that that's part of part of the calculus here is is you almost want you almost want to bring Jackson in, or I'd almost want to bring Jackson in when I feel like it's like the go for it move. Now I, the Colts need a quarterback in the worst way, in any way possible. If they feel like he's the guy, they should just go do it and figure out whatever they have to do on the back end. But I do think it does complicate it a little bit, especially given given that injury history that you referenced. You know, I was just going to ask you, Joel, can they contend in the AFC South, and is this a playoff team? I, but I think that kind of answers the question. I, I just I feel like the challenge is not even necessarily about where the Colts are not as a roster, but where the rest of the AFC is, and that's – and they're playing catch-up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I mean, you just look at any of the top quarterbacks in, in the NFL right now, none of them really made the sort of the Andrew Luck impact as a rookie that, 
that I think some people still expect. You know, Mahomes sat. Uh, Josh Allen was, you know, very up and down. Joe Burrow was good, but Cincinnati wasn't winning before he got hurt. Uh, Jalen Hurts had to sit. You know, he, Justin Herbert was really good, won the rookie of the year, but the Chargers still didn't make the playoffs. There's a, there's a, a delayed, there's a delayed reward that goes along with getting a rookie quarterback. It's the, 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 what happened with Andrew Luck is is the outlier, and it's it's getting to the point now where it's been a long time since that happened that it almost doesn't have relevance anymore, given how how long ago it was. That, that you're going to expect a rookie quarterback to come in and put you in playoff contention right away. And that's what I keep thinking about in terms of this Colts outlook for next season is if you were if you were going going for the playoffs, you know, and you're going for a rookie quarterback at the same time, those two things kind of work against each other. Uh, and and you know, I know I know that there's some people who think Gardner Minshew can play really well. Um you know, I think there's probably a feeling there that, that the NFL is kind of acknowledged by him being a backup in Philadelphia and the contract he got, frankly. But it, it just doesn't seem like you're going to fully expect to compete for a playoff spot right away with a rookie quarterback. I think it's more of a, if this happens, that's great. <laughs> uh, it means we're further ahead than we thought. Joel, what are we looking at next week in terms of schedule? I, I don't know if it's locked in stone yet, but you know, any updates from you out there in regards to Shane Steich and Chris Ballard and Jim Mercy? Well, the the uh, the AFC head coaches talk right away on Monday morning, um, and now I say right away on Monday morning. I have to remember that I'm going to Arizona, so for you guys, it'll it won't be right away on Monday morning. But they talk at like seven forty five. Uh, Mountain Time or Arizona Time on, on uh, I I can never remember if Arizona switches or not. Um, I think Arizona's weird, like us. Uh, and so Arizona, right at seven forty-five Arizona time, we'll get Steichen. Uh, typically in the past, it's been Ballard a little bit later in that day, and then Ursay the next day. Um, none of that's set in stone yet, but that's kind of how it's been before. And yeah, I, it'll be Steichen right away with the AFC coaches. And I I am interested to to hear, you know, what their thoughts are now that they're kind of gone through the team building process on what the outlook is. You know, what's, you know, finally, you know, ask Jim Irsay, you know, everyone, there's not everyone, but there's there's a segment that are thinking Chris Ballard has to have a big season this year for job security. It doesn't seem like you're operating that way. You know, where where does that sit? You know, where are you guys in terms of being competitive? Why didn't you go harder for the first pick? Um, because it seems like from everything I've read from sort of the Albert Breers and Peter King, uh, that uh, the people who get the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff after it, the, the Colts weren't really that involved in that discussion. Um, and so that's another thing that will be interesting to talk about. So uh, owners' meetings are always good. You kind of get it right here at the end of free agency where you get a chance to kind of ask, hey, what's the direction? Where, where You guys made these moves. Where, where are you headed? Going, going forward. Yeah, and Joel A. Erickson will be out in Arizona next week for the owners' meetings. Uh, Three-hour time difference. Um, so that'll be 745 on Monday, 1045 here um, for Joel. Joel, safe travels out there, and uh, thanks for the time this morning. And sorry about your Tigers not getting to the Sweet 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Thanks for having me on, guys. See you, Joel. I think that's the – in the tournament, sometimes it's not even so much – 
a direct loss as much as getting excited about what could have been for your team. Well, I think one of the um, – Does that make sense what I'm saying, though? Like, you look at it and you're like, oh, man, they just would have gotten past that when the bracket was wide open. Right. It was opening up for them, you know? And I think one of the interesting parts about the tournament, Jake, and I'm sure Florida Atlantic felt this and Memphis felt this on Friday night, they sat there and they watched in the arena that they were about to play in, Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue. Right. You're a human being. How do you not sit there in the pregame locker room and think, guys, if we win this game, oh, we're no going doubt. to Sweet 16. No doubt. And, again – in Missouri's case, and in who was it? Was a Murray State? Is that who St. Peter's beat last year in the second round? I'm trying to think who they beat over at um, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And then the year before that, you had Oral Roberts, you know, beat Ohio State as the two seed in round one, then win in the second round as well. The, I mean, that's three straight years. I think that ties the record, or maybe is the record in tournament history to have a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. So that is the beauty of the one-and-done tournament. One thing to mention, again, on the Isaiah McKenzie front, I know we've talked about him here throughout the show, I, I don't think this is like etched in stone. He replaces Paris Campbell 1,000%, and you don't even worry about it. Um, again, Campbell proved that he could be healthy last year, and McKenzie's issue has not necessarily been proving he can stay healthy. It's proving that he can be consistent in the course of a game. Drops have been a major issue. He's also 5'8". You know, Paris Campbell... People would be surprised when they see Campbell. He's a little bigger than I think people um, originally think, given his speed. So, is McKenzie going to be a guy that is unquestionably your number three wideout and complementing Pierce and Pittman? I don't think he's necessarily that for 17 games. So, I still believe wideout should be a need, and then you can kind of keep McKenzie in more of a unique gadget role, lining up all over the field, kind of pick and choose where you use him. Doesn't it feel like? the player that if the Colts had a crystal ball hindsight's always 2020 I get it but doesn't it feel like that if they could go back and foresee what the next six months were going to be like or the next year we're going to be like in terms of their schematically their coaching everything else that they would have held on to Naeem Hines doesn't Naeem Hines feel like he would be the perfect Shane Steichen Jim Bob Cooter offensive level player yeah, I, you know, again, I think there was a mutual Naeem Hines didn't want to be here no, I, I, any, I any longer. But to your point, Jake, I do think guys like Isaiah McKenzie and a pass-catching running back, those can be really advantageous to young quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, Shane Steichen mentioned this at the Combine, you know, how beneficial Austin Eckler was with the Chargers for Justin Herbert in his rookie season. So I do think that is an area where – if you can throw the ball to that guy on a screen and he does something with it after the catch, that is really what you're trying to tap into, and that can obviously help out your young quarterback uh, big time. So we had Jim Bob Cooter on earlier. Again, Joel Erickson right there. Those will be on the podcast. Dane Fife going to join us coming up here at the top of the hour. Um, as far as the Anthony Richardson-Will Levis thing is, we can probably get into this after the morning check down, Jake. But I was talking to um, – uh, scout in the NFL yesterday, and I, he had some really interesting thoughts, Levis and Richardson, and some interesting thoughts on who he thought the Colts favored of those two. So I want to get to that here um, in the 8 o'clock hour. But for now, let's uh, hit a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, last night in baseball, it was the final, the championship of the World Baseball Classic. And it was a classic game in terms of, I think a lot of people enjoyed watching it. 
Kyle Schwarber a home run uh, in the game. The United States had gotten out to a one nothing lead, but it came down to a 3-2 score with Mike Trout facing his Angels teammate, Shohei Otani, in the ninth inning. And Otani ending up on a full count, if I'm not mistaken, striking him out in the top of the ninth. Japan wins 3-2. But the reality is, for baseball, which I think is doing everything it can to try to hold on to relevance, quite frankly, in the American sports landscape, Kevin, it was a pretty cool event. Pretty cool. And, you know, Jake, I think it's something that we can look back on a couple decades down the road and think, wow, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout faced off in that moment. Um, Otani, a 3-2 pitch, like you said, a slider, and Trout struck out there. You had Kyle Schwarber hitting homer off you Darvish in the inning before. Um, boy, it is crazy how much talent there is in Japan from a baseball standpoint. So many of those guys not over yet from a Major League Baseball standpoint, and that's kind of how it is. You know, They get a little bit into their early 20s, which is different than in America. A lot of these guys are drafted straight out of high school. But, boy, you look at the influx of talent from Japan – I mean, they're good. there's going to be not people on Otani's level, but some pretty all-star type players right. coming over here in the next few years. Uh, basketball news, college basketball, NCAA tournament obviously resumes tomorrow night. But in coaching news, Rick Pitino is now the head coach at St. John's. That left an opening at Iona. And Tobin Anderson gets that job. And I mentioned earlier, for people that are like, wait a minute, they just went out and found like the guy that – had like the one Cinderella, you know, obviously we saw that last year with St. Peter's and, and Seton Hall. Tobin Anderson apparently had been uh, deep in the interview process when they hired Rick Pitino the first go around. So they did have familiarity with him. Micah Shrewsbury reportedly in the mix for the Notre Dame job. Am I allowed to take off my shirt if he gets that job in studio? Well, will you have another one on underneath? It? Uh, I would, would probably just go bearskin. Are you, are you going to like paint your chest for it yeah the, i don't know i think it was, I was a bit college, of a hair Kevin, situation Kevin, that could run into college, an issue i kind of on a joke one time shaved the superman logo into my chest but with a j instead of an s and it was like i'm super jake which i am and we were playing in the sam this is where you play the sounder i like me some me i love me some me man we were playing intramurals at iu and that's they, a lot of chest hair by the way it was at the time. Fortunately, things have scaled back a little bit, or it's not as dark. It's white now. But anyway, um, we show up for intramurals like that night or the next day, and the other team didn't bring their jersey, shirts, whatever, and they're like, you guys got to go shirts and skins. And we drew the short straw and had to go skins, <laughs> and everyone was like, who is this moron <laughs> playing at the Hyper with a Superman logo shaved into his chest? I had a good game. I had a nice little run in intramurals where I, I got into the zone, but that was a little I'm embarrassing. Your aerodynamics, how effective those, <laughs> you know, that impact your jump shot at all. With that, yes, I'm hoping, praying, uh, potentially that Micah Shrewsbury does take the job in South Bend. Uh, we'll get into the kind of the Sweet 16 schedule coming up Thursday and Friday. Uh, but lastly, the Pacers tonight, they are north of the border taking on the Raptors. Jake Toronto is a team kind of clinging to one of those play-in spots right now. They are the nine seed currently in the Eastern Conference. They have won seven in a row at home. They've only lost one home game in the last two months. Uh, but Scotty Barnes, questionable for them with a wrist injury. And Tyrese Halliburton has been upgraded from out in recent games to questionable. So we'll see if he gives it a go. But 
obviously a fun game tonight and probably one circled on the calendar for guys like Andrew Nemhard, O'Shea Brissett, and Benedict Matherin, given their Canadian Have you roots. been to Toronto? I have not. I've heard wonderful things. By the way, I'm going to do an – I like – Toronto is basically I, – I w- it's not New York. It's Chicago size probably. I mean, in terms of just the overall feel of it. And you're there pretty much annually, right, with yeah, the IndyCar race? Yeah, for IndyCar. Uh, here we go. The NBA tankathon, by the way, since we haven't done this in a while because the Colts, uh, to your point, have now dropped their way out of – they're not out of the playoff contention, but we're back into draft – yeah, what are they, like three back, the Pacers, two back, three back of the Bulls, something like that? Yeah, they like currently are eighth in the draft. After doing the simulation lottery here, we don't have the sounder, right, Sam, the, the draft pick sounder? I don't know where to find yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know where Mark keeps that, but... <laughs> do, 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 do. Ooh. With good. the 10th pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Grady Dick, from the University of Kansas, tenth man. They would drop to tenth with that. Yeah. Mm. Then they have Marcus Sasser, twenty sixth, out of Houston, and 29th, It has them dropping to Noah Clowney out of Alabama. This, by the way, has Jalen Hood Shafino now has worked his way into the top twenty. Now listed seventeenth on the big board. Probably get behind Sasser and Clowney. Clowney's really intriguing. Big dude for Bama. So, yes, the Sweet 16 schedule looking ahead to tomorrow. Um, the games that will begin the Sweet 16, Michigan State, Kansas State at 630, Arkansas and UConn at 715, Florida Atlantic and Tennessee at 9. And, Jake, I think it's the exact 17-year anniversary of one of the best NCAA tournament games in quite some time. Gonzaga and UCLA, they meet again in the Sweet 16 that was the Gonzaga huge lead in the final minute. Gus Johnson on the call, Adam Morrison in tears. Well, wasn't the Jalen Sugg shot also UCLA? Jordan Farmar as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great one. Gonzaga and UCLA. I thought I saw yesterday there's only two Sweet 16 matchups that have happened previously in the tournament. Gonzaga-UCLA is one. Care to guess what the other one? Two. Okay, hold on. I can figure this out. How about you give me the commercial break to figure it out we'll do that and then again share the uh, will levis anthony richardson um talk with the scout yesterday some interesting thoughts not only about his opinion on the two quarterbacks but what the colts could potentially be favoring with those two as well we'll do that next here on kevin and Corey. and looking it over i have kind of a vague memory and it would seem because the years of great play would align that the go-to answer here would be Arkansas-Connecticut, but I have this weird feeling in the back of my mind that around 1990, perhaps Xavier and Texas have played each other. Xavier. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. In Texas, indeed. That is the matchup. What, what year was it? Was it 90? I don't know. I remember Xavier. Uh, 1990, 
I think Adam Mears' sister went to Xavier, and we were at a junior spec practice, and Xavier was blowing Georgetown off the floor. And Adam Mears was like, how about Xavier? I don't remember if his sister went there or he had some connection to it. But they had Xavier had a run in 90, and Texas that year had upset Purdue in the tournament. So it just feels like it would have been that year. But l- let me look up. It was what a year uh, regional play. semifinal in the year 2004. That's Xavier 79, okay. Texas 71. And I have no recollection of that. Would that have been TJ Ford's year? That's probably well before him, right? Um, I would think so. Yeah, Romain Sato with 27 oh, for yeah. Xavier in that one. P.J. Tucker on that Texas team. Was there a Larkin at Xavier then? No, Justin Cage, you know, a great player here at Pike. Gosh, um, the year, boy, I mean, Diedrich Larkin Finn. Been like they, 90 probably. They had a lot of Indiana connections. But would that have been Mata? 2004? No, he was there that one been, year. that have been Sean Miller? Mata was, boy, it might have been Mata. Let me think. How long was Mata in Xavier? I thought he was just there like a year. I think it was Sean Miller's first year. Okay. Maybe it would have been Mata's last year now that I think about it. I know that Mata in 2001 was when Butler played Wake Forest in Arizona at Kemper in Kansas City. I covered that tournament. Yeah, Mata was at l- last Butler year then, and then, so it was Mata? Yeah, Okay. and then they lost uh, in the Elite Eight to Duke. Stanley Burrell on that team? Not listed, but Justin Cage, of course. Okay. You know, the Pike – that, that was a, speaking of undefeated state championship team, that was an undefeated state championship team, right? That Pike, Pike team a, with Justin Cage. Pike and, had a run there, and I'll tell you what, one of the guys that I've always felt like was underappreciated as an Indiana high school basketball player, and I think it's a good lesson for young people because Courtney Lee, Courtney Lee had a really long and productive and lucrative NBA career, primarily based on two things. Each one more would go in the same category. If you can hit a mid-range jumper – and you're a good teammate, you can last for a long time. And neither of those guys were overly flashy, but they were quality players that knew how to play the game but could get you 10 to 12 points a night without any plays having to go through them. And coaches covet that all day long. And I think it's a lost art, that mid-range game. That was a part of the old, you know, Indiana flavor all over the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Yeah. Zach Randolph and Mike Conley and him. Yeah, that Pike team. Thank you, Eric, for that. Um, Teague, Justin Cage, Robert Vaden, Barlow. Yeah, that was loaded. I mean, there have been several of those Pike teams where you had five or six guys all going to D1 schools. Um, Jake, I was chatting yesterday with a scout from another team around the NFL, and he is actually a little bit more pro-Will Levis than Anthony Richardson. Um, The way he was describing Richardson was – Kind of a bigger, faster, stronger version of the guy that Tennessee drafted last year in Malik Willis. Um, the thing that he wanted to point out about Will Levis is if you go back and watch his junior year, which not this past season, the year before that, um, he sees some Matthew Stafford-type vibes out of him. This past season, Levis had a change in offensive coordinator, a lot of offensive line turnover, a lot of skill turnover he battled injuries himself um so he actually which 
again, I don't know if this is like the NFL consensus. He, he doesn't think this is how the Colts feel, by the way. But he is a little bit more Levis than Richardson. He feels like the Colts would like the traits of Richardson more. And I think I've mentioned this before in, in addressing quarterbacks specifically. If these four guys were the same prototypes at a different position, no question Chris Bauer would be obsessed with Anthony Richardson. We know Ballard is enamored with physical traits, and you give me the most moldable piece of clay, and we will, our coaching staff is hired for a reason, and they will mold, you know, that that guy. So I've always been curious, Jake, does that apply to quarterback? Is it purely about physical traits? I'd argue that position more than any other. It's a whole lot about between the ears as well, and that's obviously not something that you see tested on the field at the combine. It's tested more behind the scenes. You know, how would that weigh with these two guys? But I thought it was interesting to hear his take in that, again, you've got to go back on Levis, and you've got to be willing to say you can tap into that, and he had a lot of issues around him his senior year. Um, but that is, as far as the Colts is concerned, he could see Richardson over Levis. Here's what I think will be interesting. What are the two most – I've asked you this before, Kevin, I realize, but if you are a general manager in the National Football League, and you are a general man, if you're Chris Ballard, what are the two most important hires and or decisions for personnel that he's had to make? What's the biggest hire he's made? The biggest position of hire that he's had to make? Like Shane Steichen? Head coach, yeah. right? uh-huh. And then what's the most important position to select as a general manager? Yeah, I mean, what he's going to do right? next month, yeah. I would argue next month's pick, Jake, is the biggest personnel decision this franchise has had in multiple decades. You could have you understood Peyton Manning the cut with Andrew Luck. You understood Manning over Leaf, Luck over Griffin. This one, to me, is the most debate. Yeah, that, that's fair. But Chris Ballard had his first go-round, and I realize that this time he has made a selection with Shane Steichen, and we'll, we'll see whether or not that's the right one. We don't know that yet. The other big decision on his record that he has had to make. He was given the responsibility to hire a head coach. And he went a little bit against the grain and outside the box, at least from the standpoint of familiarity and comfort level and everything being copacetic within the franchise. He went away from that a little bit and went with and selected Josh McDaniels. Right? And you saw what happened. What happened there? It blew up on him. So then he was kind of forced to go the, as a make good, maybe not even on his own decision, with the convenient, safe, no-brainer, easy fix of Frank Reich. And in the end, that didn't work out either. But he did go against and outside the box a little bit with his selection, and he got burnt. And because he got burnt, he then had to accept a secondary choice that may not have completely been his wish. Does that give him now at the quarterback selecting process, does that weigh subliminally in his mind where if Anthony Richardson is the guy, there's a little bit more outside the box, a little less proven, 
a little bit more intriguing because of his athleticism, but the but fewer games, etc. Does he back away from the high reward, high risk candidate and go um, with immediacy with a safer selection? It's an interesting thought. I, I guess my immediate thought, Jake, is who is safer? Is Levis safer than well, Richardson? That's fair. Is Hendon Hooker? Safer, like is that the route that would be safe? If you want to talk about Hooker, Kevin, to me, I'm going to go back to this uh, again. Bad query analogy here, but I'm going to go back to when LeBron James was getting ready to come up on the end of his rookie contract with the Cavs, and every team in the league thought they were being smarter than everybody else by shedding salary. And it's like you know they're doing this because they're going to try to make a run at LeBron when his contract's up, and they're like the only one that it doesn't. It feel like every franchise. Everybody has said to me, you know, you think it's possible the Colts just slide back to the second round and then they take Hinton Hooker. Yeah, except for that like 15 other franchises are thinking the same thing, right? I thought it was really interesting. Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network, he had a mock draft yesterday. He had Bryce Young going one, C.J. Stroud going two. You could probably debate that a little bit. Um, he had the Cardinals then taking Will Anderson at three. He had the Colts taking Anthony Richardson at four. If you look at what he wrote up, though, about that, he literally goes, Will Levis could easily be the pick here, but Richardson's unbelievable athleticism would be a fun fit in Shane Steichen's offense. So he goes, you know, he says it could easily be Will Levis. Then he had Will Levis dropping to 19 to the Bucks, which obviously is a huge drop for the that next quarterback right. to be selected, considering you've got a lot of potentially quarterback needy teams in the back half of the top 10. He had Hendon Hooker going to the Vikings at 23. Said that the Vikings have done a little bit more homework on the quarterback class since being talked about. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is north of 30. Um, I would be shocked if Hendon Hooker got out of round one. Like I, I think, you, you, I think you're going to have to get back into round one. Now, Levis dropping that far was surprising to me. But I, I just I think you're naturally going to see a run on it. The interesting thing about Hooker, though, Jake, is like think back to 2018. 2018, I think Lamar Jackson, if I'm not mistaken, was the fifth quarterback taken in that draft. You had the four go early: Baker Mayfield, Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and then everybody waited to take the quote unquote project in Lamar Jackson or the one that Bill Polian thought should have been a receiver. You know, right. like Hooker's not that though. Hooker's more of the, again, he falls probably in more of the safe category. But so doesn't it feel like he's almost as coveted after those first four as, if this makes sense. So you've got your two teams, Kevin. You've got your teams, two groups of teams. You've got t- group one that are vying in that front in those top four players. Then you've got group two, which is the teams that are lobbying for position to get Hendon Hooker. And it feels like that second group is working just as hard at that as the first group is with those four quarterbacks. Yeah, it's just interesting that when you have this QB that's like potentially late first, early second, the guy's labeled as pretty safe and pretty reliable. Where I feel like in past years, the Jordan Love, like an Amber, it's more of a more of a risky pick and a potentially high potential. And that's why you saw Green Bay make that selection, or you know, in Baltimore's case, they didn't have to throw Jackson in there right away um, so yeah i just thought that was something that was worth pointing out all right dane five's going to join us in 10 here kevin and query on a gloomy wednesday
Jake, it's been uh, nine straight years that we've had a five seed or lower make the final four. If that stretches to a tenth year, that team will be who? Okay, repeat that again. Nine straight years Mm -hmm. of a team seeded five or lower in the final four. If that gets to a tenth year, will it be... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Princeton, Michigan State, San Diego State, Creighton, Florida Atlantic, Arkansas, or Miami? Arkansas or Miami feel like the safest pick there, but I think Creighton is a bit of a wild card. I like Creighton. Um, because Creighton would... Creighton's I mean, got Princeton, and then they get the winner of Alabama, San Diego State. Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, crazier things have happened, right? You would think that Creighton, that Creighton will beat Princeton, but, I, you know, you thought Princeton would not get, you know, past Missouri, but... San Diego State, Alabama's pretty good, man, you know? Now, I would say the most wide-open region, Jake, for that to occur is if you're looking at a bracket, the bottom left, that's the Michigan State-Florida Atlantic region. Florida Atlantic's got Tennessee, and then Michigan State's got Kansas State. Kansas State's one of those teams that's had a great year, and I know nothing about Kansas State, right? I mean – you know, they're, they're coached by a guy that was Scott Drew's chief assistant at Baylor, and, and they run kind of that same frantic system. But I, did you see any of Kansas State this year? They I lost, watched them against KU a little bit. That was it. They lost to Butler. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of wild. You've got Kansas State and Michigan State, two teams that lost to Butler and Notre Dame. I mean – yeah, I would probably – boy, that's a tough one if I'm looking at it. I, I think I'd go Creighton. I, I have this we- – like, I want to root against Alabama right now. So, I'm trying to, like – I'm thinking to myself, Kevin, are you just showing a little bit of emotion and, like, thinking San Diego State could make it interesting with Alabama or Creighton could come out of that region? But I would say Creighton out of those – what is that, seven? Seven teams that could extend that – um. So yeah, that'll be something, of course, to I, keep an eye on. San Diego State's another one that's pretty interesting, right? I mean, I, Jake, th- they're carrying the flag for that league. There's no doubt about that. It's like the same team every year, like super long. They defend the hell out of you. I thought it was darn impressive. Uh, Their three wins so far in the tournament, they have held those respective teams um, to their season low in points. I mean, think about that. Three straight games against NCAA tournament teams because they played Utah State to win the conference tournament, right. so that was a NCAA tournament team. They've held each of those three teams to their season low. I mean, those, these teams are playing 25, 30 games. Um, so I'm curious. I, I think they will have, like, Alabama-type size and length. I don't know if they have enough skill, but that's a seven-and-a-half-point spread. I, I, I think I'm rolling with the Aztecs in that one. Boy, I'll tell you. Alabama, their their length. I mean, Alabama has seemingly like ten guys that are the same guy, right? Brandon Miller's really good, but they're they just seem 
Like they just come in waves, you know? Uh, this from Mike, it's not Roll Tide, it's Parole Tide. <laughs> okay. That's pretty strong. That's really strong. And I think there's a lot of people that around here that would tend to agree. Yeah. Right? From a chant standpoint inside of the Yum Center on Friday night, I don't know if that flows very well. Parole Tide, yeah, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think that might, might be a good poster. You just have to sit if you're the other team, and right when you know they're about to say roll tide, you have to then jump up and go, pa, and then, yeah. you know what I mean? A lot of coordination yeah. that would take. Again, the Yum Center for that one, uh, it'll be a 630 tip. It'll lead us off on Friday. Alabama and San Diego State, Bama favored by 7.5. Creighton is a 9.5-point favorite over Princeton. That is approximately at 9. I didn't realize that Mitch Henderson, Princeton's coach, Went to, grew up in Vincennes and is a Culver product. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Culver guy. I like a that. hell of an athlete. Yeah. Drafted to play baseball by the Yankees and was on the I saw his name. Princeton team. Some people won. mentioned him for Notre Dame. Really? Yeah. I mean, maybe not like legitimately, but like yeah. people were like, I'd oh, would he be interesting? I'd probably keep my shirt on for that one. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I'm going to keep my shirt on for Dane Fife, but looking forward to the conversation. He joins us next. It's the 9 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's 9 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Corey, Kevin Bowen here as well. Sam Fritz on the big board. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You've heard him plenty on these airwaves over the last month or so. Dane Fife joins us, who of course has spent time as a player in the NCAA tournament with Indiana, as a coach with Indiana, as a coach with Michigan State, who still remains in the Sweet 16 so, Dan, I guess my first question is, does this time of year kind of get the juices flowing for you in terms of a nostalgic nature from your playing days or your coaching days? Well, I'd say both, guys. Uh, first, I was embedded with the Sparties. I was with the Spartans uh, this weekend in Columbus, and I got to see um, – I switched to my earbud here. Uh, I got to um, – I got to I got to see Florida Atlantic, my man Dusty May, and I got to see a little bit of the Boilers. I was in the building, guys, when the Boilers went down, and I'm a Boiler fan. And so, uh, to be honest with you, I, I think it's more exciting uh, to be a coach and get in, get into this tournament than it is a player. I don't know why. I just uh, I think uh, I guess it's probably because I sucked as a player personally, oh, and I uh, feel like maybe I have more of an impact as a coach. The scheming, the schematic type things. Um, I'd say probably probably uh, more exciting to be a coach than it was a player. You know, the Purdue game. Could you feel the energy? Day? Like as a player, you'd you'd have good perspective on this. I mean, you played, for example the Duke game that you were a part of. And and yep. we're just going to say that it was Coverdale that fouled Jason Williams yeah, on that Coverdale. shot. Whacked That's, him. That's yep. right. Whacked him. But when that happened, for example, you know, Rupp Arena, as you guys had <laughs> had Duke on the ropes, you, you could the energy was palpable, like coming through the television. So you would know this. With Purdue and Fairleigh Dickinson, as people were like, oh, my gosh, is this happening do you, did the players feel it? Did that victimize Purdue because they started looking at the clock just as the fans did? 
Well, you know, when Coverdale made that foul against Duke, it, it beca- <laughs> that warm that warm sweat, the excitement became a cold sweat and a knot in your stomach. And it was the same feeling. I was in the building when when Purdue was, uh, you know, they, they 70 per, 75, 80 percent of the crowd was chanting FDU last eight minutes or so. And again, I, I was rooting for Purdue, Fletcher Lawyer, uh, Matt Painter. Big Ten. I was rooting for Purdue, and I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of it. And I started getting that knot in my stomach. And you could feel, honestly, you could feel the tension. And it was um, – I was involved when Michigan State – I was assistant with Michigan State when we lost to Middle Tennessee State, and it was a 15-2 upset in St. Louis. And the difference was is we were at least scoring. I mean, we, we scored upwards close to 100 points with Michigan State. Purdue couldn't score. Their defense was okay. But I just that, – that ball started rolling against Purdue, and there was nothing that could stop it. And what, what I saw was, um, you know, everybody wants to make a big deal about Purdue's guard. What I saw was the upperclassmen that were really struggling in that moment. And, you know, Zach Eady was – they were just out of character. Uh, where I thought Fletcher Lawyer kind of held his own, was making some big shots down the stretch. Braden Smith was a one-man press breaker. He's Dane Fife. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dane, are you in at all the rest of this week, noon to three? I've enjoyed the past couple of days. Oh, hey, thanks, KB. I appreciate that. Uh, no, I am not. Um I may try to work my way over to New York City to catch Michigan State and uh, Florida Atlantic. Uh, that's going to be a fun side of the bracket. Those are two teams that I've got special interest in, obviously. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I will not be in the rest of the week. I, I want to stick with Purdue for just a second um, before I, we get to Michigan State and just the, the bracket in general. Um, you brought up you know, your guys lost to Middle Tennessee State. I mean, obviously, that's an outlier for Tom Izzo and, and, and when you were there. Let's say Matt, Matt Painter dials you up and says, all right, Dane, you know, you have experienced a loss like that from a mid-major standpoint, a big upset, but you also have been a part of a program that has come out of this conference and had unbelievable consistency in the tournament. Um, if Matt Painter asked you for some advice and maybe how to tweak things, how to handle a schedule, how to – handled November through February, so you're peaking in March. Yeah. What would you say to him? Well, one of the things I said uh, on our show, uh, it just had crossed my mind. You know, Coach Izzo plays a – he's well, it's well-documented. He plays a tough fall, you know, uh, preseason schedule. And it looks great on the front end, and then usually on the back end, and you're seeing a couple of L's that maybe you could have avoided. Uh, it doesn't always feel good. But he, Coach Izzo's always made a big deal about uh, playing – um, a team, one team uh, in one of the power, you know, six power, six conferences, the other five conferences, he wants to play a team from each conference. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. Now, that doesn't help when you're playing Middle Tennessee State or Fairland, you know, FDU in Purdue's case. But what it does is it gets you, gives you an idea of how other teams play or how each conference plays, by and large. You know, there's a couple – uh, you know, take Michigan State in the Big Ten. Michigan State wants to play fast. They're going to push it up the floor. But by by and large, most teams play in similar fashion in order to survive in their respective conferences. And so it, it is a fascinating dynamic. And, 
that's something that we were able to utilize in recruiting too. We want to be able to okay, can we play play fast like and can we play fast and shoot the ball like Alabama? Can, do we get do we have the inside game of Arizona and maybe a Pac-12? You know, do we have the toughness of the Big 12? Do we have the quickness of the Big East? You know, those were things that we'd always take into account because we're not just playing to win the Big Ten championship. You know, at Michigan State, we're playing for March, and by in doing so, um, we're gonna we're gonna have a good lay of the land in the preseason, whether we win or lose. Dane, I had mentioned this, and I I want your perspective to kind of piggyback off of that. Dane Fife's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. The in the Big Ten, I was saying to Kevin, I don't know this, but I feel like other leagues, and I'll use the ACC as an example. I feel like the ACC has greater diversity of style of play within its own league than does the Big Ten. Like, in other words, to your point, there is a particular style that you have to build yourself to be, seemingly Tom Izzo is the one that doesn't, to be able to master winning the Big Ten, but that doesn't necessarily translate to then being able to take on opponents of other leagues. Are there other leagues, notably, we'll say the ACC, and I'll throw the Big 12 in there, do they have teams within their league that have a greater variation of style of play than is offered by the Big Ten? You know, I think you, you've got to adapt to a certain style of play to w- when you're competing at the top of the each league. And what I mean by that is everybody kind of has to mold their team in order to win that league. I, I don't know that there's like a super outlier in each league. Uh, either the ACC or like take Kansas, for example. I mean, how complex is Kansas? You know, Kansas, they, they're well, it's well known that they've got a really big or they've got a big center, a powerful or not, not so much now, uh, not so much this year, but they've got a big oriented team. They usually have pretty good guards. They don't play that fast. Um, I think a, a big part of it is you have to have, um, you have to have somebody that can just go get you a freaking bucket. That's usually a pretty good pro or a guy that catches fire. Like we had Cassius Winston at Michigan State, who we just always felt could either get us a bucket or find the right guy to get us a bucket when it matters. And I think those are usually the teams that you see winning the winning big in March is whether it's a big, and generally it's not, it's usually a guard that can just get you that last two or four points, that big bucket that can win you the game. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, does the Big Ten need to, and and this is where NIL can play a role, does the Big Ten need to invest in more pros, uh, more pro guards? I don't know. But I think it's the, the key part is do you have somebody that can go get you that big bucket? I think this year, Dane, for the most part, undoubtedly, Braden Smith had an impressive freshman year, and he's a he's a, a player that I think people enjoy watching for a number of valid reasons. But against Fairleigh Dickinson, against that press, seven turnovers, did not play well. Is that is that an area that a young player just the nerves and the moment come into play, and you grow from that and learn? how to better control the basketball, better play in that environment, or is it a matter of not simply being quick enough in college basketball at that level to be able to execute against the press? I think it's a good point, Jake. I think youth plays a major factor in uh, 
in the NCAA tournament for the most part. Uh, I can think back to probably my first two years, at least my first two years, maybe three years, where I was crapping boulders. And um, I think I can speak for my teammates as well. That experience, um, you know, the been there part of it is a big deal. And I can speak from experience. I can speak from, as you mentioned, a player and a coach where you're, as a coach, you're a lot more comfortable with guys out there that have gotten it done. And then there's always that guy that just, you know, the heat doesn't bother him. You know, pressure bothers everybody to, to, from one extent to the other, where uh, I, I, I really think that, um, you know, in Braden Smith's case and, and Fletcher Lawyer and, and even a Zach Eady, you're going to see if they all come back a significantly different, uh, more battle-hardened, next year that can handle those moments um, in much better fashion and I'm just going to say I really love Purdue's team uh, for next year if they can keep the, the, the nucleus together and I think they are going to be a force next year He's Dane Fife, uh, Madison Square Garden bound it sounds like to watch Sparty and Dusty May and company with FAU coming up uh, later this week, and Dane's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, Dane, what? Um, how would you compare? And, and I laughed when you used the term portalette yesterday to describe what the transfer portal can be. Um, how would you describe maybe what Purdue should be or shouldn't explore in the portal versus what Indiana needs in the portal this offseason? Well, I, I think I've listened to, to enough people that, and I agree, and Don Fisher said it, um, I think Purdue's going to probably, I, I can't imagine them having to replace too many players. Um, and I'm not sure that they, that they need to. I think they have enough. I think they have what they need. I, I do think it comes down to experience. Does Coach Painter and staff need to make a few adjustments and maybe some defensive coverages or some offensive scheming? Yeah, and they will. You know, Matt Painter, uh, he's not afraid to, to make changes. I've been watching him for a long time, he's, and he's not afraid to make changes defensively or offensively. As for Indiana, I, I think I was reading, and I'd agree, I think there's many as four to six new faces, if not more. And they have two freshmen signed. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, when you look at the landscape, it's probably you can probably say that they're going to lose two more based on the law of averages um, into the portal. And I think – at this point, Indiana probably needs 13 guys on their roster, you know, um, on, on scholarship. A big part of this, and, and I said it yesterday, you have to be careful because there, there are a few success stories with regard to teams that, that use the portal um, in upwards of, of three, four, five guys coming from the portal. But there's, there, for the most part, there's a lot more failures, and I called it the. You can be the the portal can be you know something of a um, a really uh, uh, roses and rainbows, but the portal can become the portal John really quick, and that's 
the problem with a lot of these programs. You're not seeing the failures, uh, but it, but the failures are the guys that are getting fired, you know, the coaches that are getting fired. Yeah, I mean, there's it's probably not deigned to the level of NFL free agency or NBA free agency because they're young people sometimes that just want to get closer to home or, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's guys that want to get more minutes or, or get log jammed somewhere or money, but there or money. Yeah. But there is still money some now, truth to yeah. the fact that you're still getting guys that for whatever reason, another program let go, right? I mean, maybe the program didn't want to, but you yeah. get what I'm saying there, right? Yeah. And I think for the most part, before the portal came about, I think it was a two way street. It worked both ways where the player wanted to leave. And for the most part, uh, the coaches, the staff, the team wanted the player out of there. And that's not a good decision on either one of them's part. Probably wasn't a good decision in the first place for the player to go there. And, of course, coaches, we make mistakes in recruiting. Um, we try to limit them, but we make mistakes. I think the biggest issue is, uh, like I, dis- I discussed just is, is the circle, the, play- the, the player's circle around them. You know, the people that are in the player's zero. You're not getting enough shots. Your coach is screwing you. And they leave for the wrong reasons. And then they go to a program, uh, the next program, for the wrong reason. So they've got this delusional um, thought process where I'm going to go in and the grass is going to be greener. And it typically doesn't work out that way. So you're, you're bringing in, a, you know, the program is bringing in a player that was disgruntled, and, it, and it's following him. His problems are following him to the next program. And they're coming in with that delusional thought process, and what you have is a disgruntled player. Now, let's think about having six of those guys. That's usually what you get now from the portal. Not always, not always, but that's usually what you get. When when it comes to recruiting, which is harder, which is the bigger challenge to get right? You know, because you have some players, Dane, that – you just miss on assessing their their skill. You know, some guys, because they yeah. played at a smaller school or whatever, and then you get there and you realize this guy can't play. And then you have other yeah. guys that you miss on their character and they get there and you go, this guy's a pain in the backside and there's going to be an issue. Which one is is a, is a harder to be able to predict? I think at the highest level, you know, like a level at like Michigan State, um, you have a lot of time to learn about freshman, you know, an incoming freshman, a guy that you've recruited generally for two, three, four years. Um, and I think at Michigan State, at least, we have a little rule of thumb is you cannot just recruit the player. You have to recruit the family. You've got to do the job with family care. You're like, like when I was recruiting somebody at Michigan State, I stopped recruiting them because of a parent that was just volatile on social media. Think about that. And it wasn't necessarily volatile about their own child. They were just volatile and, and occasionally about their own child. And I thought, gosh, if they can be volatile about that. Imagine when, you know, crap hits the fan when their child's struggling at, you know, in basketball. What are they going to do? What are they going to tweet about the staff? What are they going to tweet about the, the kid's experience? And so um, when, you, when you recruit from the portal, you've got you've – got, you know, you, you do have the body of work at the previous school, um, which is somewhat equivalent to the, you know, to to your particular school. But what you have, what you don't have, is you don't have much time, and time to interview, time to do research, time to talk about uh, the kid's background, the kid's family. You just have generally stats or 
in some cases you might have recruited them previously. Um, but I, I, I still say, for the most part, you can bet there's problems that they're bringing. Uh, there's baggage. Not everybody, but most people. Dane, we'll end with this. Um, you've been pretty adamant that Trace Jackson Davis not only can play at the next level but have a lot of success at the next level. Um, you've seen him behind the scenes. What does that jump shot look like behind the scenes, and how much do you think <laughs> that is something that he needs to showcase at the NBA level to have staying power in that league? Well, I think it's – it's. Uh... I, I can't classify it as great, but I think right now you bring them in and it's serviceable. Uh, what the NBA will do is they'll really put a strong emphasis. They'll, they'll just have, all right, you're coming in, you're doing this every day. That's all you're working on. They could, NBA has a way of just, you know, they, they find that niche and um, they can accentuate it and put, put emphasis on it. And Trace will come in there and shoot a thousand jumpers a day. That's a lot. And, um, I don't think NBA should be fearful of that at all. That should not be the deal breaker. Tracy Jackson Davis's ability to shoot the mid range or the three because he does so many other things. And I think the biggest one is he's a great person. Um, because what you're going to have is if you're going to have him on the bench, you better have a good dude on the bench. You don't need someone causing problems. If you're going to have him as a starter, you know, what he's going to bring is what he does every day. Now that he's decided to start rebounding, it's just going to be hard to keep him off the floor because he can do so many things. And you add in the jumper that I, I, I said this, and I keep saying I said this yesterday, but, you know, somebody was tweeting, I, I mentioned he's a smaller version of DeMontis Sabonis. And somebody said, well, I can't shoot like him. And I said, how do you know? He goes, well, that's, that's a good point. He doesn't do it. And I thought, and no kidding. And I was talking to Landon Turner yesterday on the radio, Indiana great Landon Turner. He's like, why would he do it? All he has to do is drive and nobody stops him. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. So why does he need to shoot? We don't know if he can't shoot. I can tell you, he can shoot. I wouldn't classify him as a great shooter, maybe not even a good shooter, but a serviceable shooter. But what the other things that he does, it's just too hard to pass up. I like him for the Pacers, fellas. Yeah, I think with Indiana having – Oh, gosh, Dane. I mean, the Pacers have – certainly I don't think they're going to take him, you know, with their first pick, but they've got a late no. first and then an – you know, they basically – the Pacers have Houston's second-round pick, which is essentially going to be like the 30th pick, and I think that's right. right. I do think that Jackson Davis has moved his way into the mid to early 30s in terms of where he slots, so probably right around there, right? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, Alex Golden yesterday had him – I think somewhere early twenties too. So I, I, I don't think he's going to last into the second round uh, because I think he's going to go interview. He's going to show these teams exactly what he can do, and I think he'll. I, I'm almost positive he'll move up. I believe that strongly about it. I, I just think they've got to get him um, to where they can see they can they can run him through the test, whether it's a shooting test, the speed test, whatever it is, the interview, the the psychological test. I mean, this this guy's a winner, and he'll he's incredibly coachable, and I think that's usually a problem when they look at okay, well he's older now. Well, what do you mean by that? Like he can't, he's not as athletic. No, it's not that. I think they worry that he's that players that are older are so hardwired that they're unwilling to change. Trace is not unwilling to change. He's incredibly coachable, and he's fun to work with. And I think coaches will just find. 
find that in these these scouts will find that gosh we've really got something here once they get them into these meetings and these tests and these interviews dane lastly give me the the school remaining in the sweet 16 i mean we know alabama you know alabama and houston are one seeds i get it right um, yeah. I'll even take Texas and Xavier off the board because they're like two and three seeds and people around here know Xavier. Give me the team in the Sweet 16 that people didn't talk about them all year long, but you're like, look, don't don't sleep on them because they are legit and they can easily find their way to Houston. Well, I'm going to give you Texas just because that was my pick. Ever since they popped Kansas in the Big 12 tournament, I'm like, gosh, these, these guys, wow, that's impressive. They didn't, they didn't just beat them they drilled them um i will say that michigan state what a what a great bracket they've had all along like good lord why can't i be there with that side with that bracket unbelievable it, it's a cakewalk by michigan state standards you, you got duke has always been in the bracket of michigan state usually we run into duke and get beat except for the zion williamson year i like michigan state making it to houston but be careful because the Florida Atlantic Fighting Hooters, the Owls. Hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you. They're nocturnal. Yes. Are you going split yes. jersey if Florida Atlantic meets up with Michigan State? Are they going to show you in the crowd? Well, it depends on who gives me the best-looking jersey. You know, I got a <laughs> reputation to uphold those. You know, I don't want some some jersey bought at Dick's uh, Sporting Goods. Sorry, Dick's. Uh, Jake loves Dick's, but uh, I'm not a big Dick's fan. Uh mm-hmm. But uh, what I want is the authentic. From the equipment room, I want the authentic jersey. But I, I, honestly, guys, I've watched Sport Atlantic. I went and observed them for three or four days in January. They've got a squad, man. They are like the Purdue matchup with uh, FDU. Everybody has to match up with uh, Florida Atlantic, and it, it's a tough matchup for most teams left in this tournament. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. Look out, guys. Dusty May and the Fighting Hooters are coming for you. Listen, if you did a split jersey of, of FAU and then like an MSU one, it could just say FAM. And then you're like, look, they're both FAM, <laughs> right? I'm cool. I'm good with that. See? That's it, right. That's true. You, you know, FAM you and just put the S, you know, That's with Florida A&M yeah. shirt if he wants to. Um, I didn't have Hooters and a Dix reference on That's the right. bingo card, but Dane Five covers it all here. <laughs> With us, Dane. Uh, safe right. travels to the Big Apple. Good I'm luck. Comfortable to your... enough to say that I do. Yes, enjoy Dicks. I, I was a big Galleons <laughs> fan. You know, I like climbing I the wall. Galleons too. Like Galleons climbing... was good. Yeah, climbing the wall. Uh, Dane, enjoy <laughs> Madison Square Garden. Hey, thanks, fellas. See ya. That's Dane Fife right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you know, Jake Dane had the reference of you know the portal can be the portalette or Portal John. You know, it's interesting when you look at Indiana and Purdue specifically. Obviously, Indiana's used the portal more than Purdue recently. David Jenkins ugh, for Purdue. I mean, you look at Indiana, Miller Cop, kind of a rough first year, much better this past season. Really important piece. Xavier Johnson, been a little bit up and down. Parker Stewart didn't work out. I think if you're looking to use it to accentuate, that's one thing, Kevin. But if you're looking at it to cement your roster you're in trouble well see the interesting part to that is look at miami good point miami and 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 to be fair jake they're probably the outlier it's a good point though i mean if you look at miami you can make the argument yes isaiah wong was a great player for them the other night and you know he's a guy that's kind of organically come through their program but nigel pack from kansas state 
Uh, their big guy, Omir, came from Arkansas State. And really, one of the more underrated players from the other night was Jordan Miller, who had 19 for them. He is a George Mason transfer. So you look at those three guys, Jake, the Arkansas State, George Mason, that's a big transfer up. You know, Nigel Nigel Pack is a little more of a lateral transfer. But in Miami's case, they have found, I think, what Indiana is probably looking for in this portal. I still think Purdue's got to explore some things. They don't need it as abundantly as Indiana needs it. But, boy, if you're Mike Woodson and you can somewhat replicate what Miami was able to do this past season with the portal, that'd be huge. Because for all the Nigel Pack and all the, you know, Miami's literally, you know, paying to play and they got all that offseason sort of attention and how is Jim Laranega going to handle that locker room and all of that, ACC champs and a trip to the Sweet 16. What's happened to George Mason since Jim Laranega left? Oh, that's a great point. I didn't even make that connection that the kid was a George Mason transfer. Um, I, I'm going to guess they haven't been too great. If you look at the places where Jim Laranega's coached, this is how good he is. When he leaves, the immediate following coach has success early, and then like it kind of water finds its level again. And where else has he been? Uh, he was at – he was an assistant at Virginia, but as a head coach, Bowling Green, George Mason, and Miami. And he was at Bowling Green. And he built great programs at both those places. Gosh, he's 73. Yeah, he's won 721 games, man. I mean, he's been around a long time, right? 60% of his games. But Wow, I didn't realize he stayed at George Mason for several more years after the Final Four run. Uh, what year was the Final Four? Uh, right here, right? 06. Yeah, wait, wait, 06. Yeah, so he was there another five, yeah. That was the pretty nondescript Final Four. What do you have? Florida, UCLA, George Mason, and... Boy, if you hadn't asked. You said UCLA, right? UCLA and Florida, right? That was part of the uh, Ben Howland four straight. Oh, it was... Um, they shut down Reddick. LSU. Boy, that's right. That Tyrus was Thomas. Throw Miles Swift. You're right. That was John Brady. Wasn't that his name? That was riding the coattails yeah, of John, John Trelor. Yeah. John Trelor was the assistant for LSU, I think, that was the X's and O's guys for them. My brother bought a ticket to that national title game for like five bucks. Florida UCLA. <laughs> I was not, at that game. Did the morning show on WIBC the next morning. That was rough. Was not one of the more uh, highly anticipated national titles. All right, uh, pop quiz coming up in a few. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy for that. Let's do a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Jake, tonight north of the border, it'll be the Pacers taking on the Toronto Raptors. These teams are only separated by two spots or maybe three in the standings. Uh, But Toronto is certainly playing for a spot, at least in the play-in. And at home, they've been outstanding as of late. They've won seven straight at home. They've only lost one home game in the last two months. They're favored by eight. We'll see about Scotty Barnes tonight. He's questionable for Toronto. And Tyrese Halliburton has been upgraded from out to questionable. So we saw the return of Benedict Mather on Monday. At least on the injury report, Jake, it looks like we could see Tyrese Halliburton here before the end of the season. And by the way, how could we have forgotten for LSU big baby Glenn Davis Mm. was the star of that team. His former team, Boston, last night, by the way, 132-109 over the aforementioned Domas Sabonis and the Sacramento Kings. Elsewhere in the league last night, the Cavs, Hawks, Magic, Pelicans and Thunder all getting wins. 
Uh, Jake, last night on the Diamond, the World Baseball Classic, you had Japan defeating the United States 3-2 to in the magic of Shohei Otani on full display. Um, I saw a tweet earlier that Shohei Otani um, hit the hardest hit ball in the World Baseball Classic through the fastest pitch in the World Baseball Classic, and then just more for generic stats. He hit 435, had eight RBIs in seven games, and he threw nine innings with a 1.86 ERA and 11 strikeouts. It is amazing to me that he is not, and I know he's a star, but that he is not a like household name, everybody in America. Maybe it's it's getting there, but Mike Trout as well, who he struck out to end the classic itself is Japan got to win last night, but it, it was fun to watch. It was definitely fun to watch, and those two guys are the biggest stars in the game right now. It's just fascinating to me that they are not the biggest among the biggest stars in American sports. I mean, that moment in the ninth inning, Trout at the plate with two outs, Otani on the mound with the one-run lead, that's got to be the biggest baseball moment for either of them so far, right? What's that? Otani facing Trout, that's got to be the biggest baseball pressure moment they've been in. Both. And I wondered about that. Like, you almost wonder what that would do. It, you're going to laugh when I say this, Kevin. To your point, yes, it is so big that I wondered if the angel, like, or the angel's not like, oh boy, like, could this not create a friction by any stretch, but a tension maybe? You know what I mean? Like, one of those guys was going to have that moment, and the other one, especially by him striking out, it's different than if he'd a fly out deep to center or whatever right. else. But yeah. yeah, you could feel like. It felt like kind of a World Series moment, I, didn't it? You again, could feel attention. I raised my hand as a Reds fan and realizing I don't watch a lot of pressure-packed baseball in the months that matter. But last night watching that was the most into a baseball game I've been to in totally years. Totally agree. Totally agree. It was pretty cool. Um, so, again, Japan, the winners there, 3-2 in the World Baseball Classic. All right, it is time for the pop quiz, 317-239-1070. Scotty's entered the building, decked out in Pacers gear. And his U.S. hat. Look at that. Did we get a silver medal for that last night? <laughs> Nothing? No. Okay. Um, oh, wow. That's a great name for number three. I forgot about him. Kind of a Red Sox legend, right? Brief period. Uh, pop quiz. Give us a call. 317-239-1070. Jiffy Lube oil change. Up for grabs. All right. It's time for the pop quiz. Jake, you taking a look at it yet? The chipmunk that runs my computer was on a smoke break, and it's now coming up here, so it'll take me just a second. Seems like a bit of an excuse here. I had no idea on number four, Scotty, for uh, Rick Patino. Boy, Patino's quotes yesterday about St. John's were hilarious. By the way, today's March 22nd, which means it is the 39th anniversary of Indiana defeating number one North Carolina. It's today the first 70, day of spring. 72-68, by the way. I think yesterday was, wasn't it? Yesterday, the first day of spring. We're certainly getting April showers. We're getting that. Sounds like the rest of the week. All right, Jake, a number one through eight for the pop quiz. Uh, I will go with number five. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Number five, Sam Fritz. That is Tim. 
Tim. Good morning. Tim, good morning. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you guys? Tim, do you have, did you have or do you have any rooting interest in a particular NCAA tournament team? Um, I don't anymore, let's say. I'm an IU grad, so, um, you know, such is life. You characterize the IU season as step forward, step you know, it's nowhere. The whole, the whole program from 20, 30 years ago is so disappointing when, you know, we're thrilled to be a four seat. That's, that's an absolute joke in my opinion, but it was a step forward for sure. But looking in the uh, crystal ball for next year, it looks bleak. Woody's really going to have to hit the portal and hit some home runs. Hammer the portal. That. Is there any player on the roster that if they were to leave, you would – I don't mean to throw stones at a kid, but is there anybody on the roster that if their name popped up in the transfer portal, you would think to yourself, yeah, I can live with that? Just about any of them. Wow, okay. <laughs> I know. Maybe the lefty guard who was 0 for 13 in the tournament. I, I thought he could <laughs> yeah. maybe a little bit more run for him next year. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tim, we appreciate you calling. Jiffy Lube oil change is up for grabs. Uh, Jake, you want to lead off number one? Oh, great. You're, you're, oh, yeah, I will because I want you to have to do number two, so I will do number one. Here we go, Tim. Uh, Japan beat the United States 3-2 last night in Miami to win the World Baseball Classic. Japan went 7-0 in the tournament, becoming just the second team to win the WBC with a perfect record. Who was the first going 5-0 in 2013? Was it, in fact, Japan, the United States, the Dominican Republic, or Puerto Rico? Wow, let's say, uh, let's say Japan. Okay. Another guess here, Tim, to a vacation spot. Uh, they make decent cigars. Let's say the Dominican Republic. Okay. That was a little curveball, Jake. You started with number two. So I oh, guess I I'll go up to number one here. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I didn't. I, I had my things going I was going to say, you're going to have to battle number three. Um, legendary New York Knicks center Willis Reed passed away yesterday at the age of 80. Reed is one of three players in NBA history to win MVP, finals MVP, and all-star game MVP in the same season. Who did it twice? But Reed, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, or Shaq? Let's say Bird. Okay. Question number three. Rick Pitino is the new head coach of the oh, St. John's gosh. basketball team. It'll be the seventh school at which Pitino served as head coach. At which university did Pitino begin his career as a head coach, serving as an interim in the 76th season? Was it Iona? Boston University, Hawaii, or Providence? Boston University. Okay. That would have been my guess. I had no idea on that one. Um, okay, uh, number, I guess, four here. As Jake keeps on running away from this question. <laughs> Shohei Otani is your most valuable player of the 2023 World Baseball Classic. Tim, as Japan wins its third WBC title, Japan won the first two World Baseball Classics with the same player winning MVP in both 2006 and 2009. Name him. A, Ichiro Suzuki. B, Nori Aoki. C, Hayashi Iwakuma and D Daisuke Matsuzaka. Uh, let's go with D. Nice. Good job, Tim. 
Tim, how often do you listen to this program? Almost every day. Okay. Thank you for that, Tim. I do appreciate that, Tim, very much. What, what line of work are you in, Tim? I'm retired. Oh, that's the best, isn't it? What, what's a typical retirement day for you? Like watching a lot of Matlock, taking a walk? <laughs> price is right. Yeah, price is right. Yeah, 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 the price is right. I'm an expert. I can price anything right now. <laughs> what, you were in what line of work before retirement? I was in the transportation business. Okay, that's cool. Um, this last question, if you know any history of my academic career that might be of assistance to you depending on whether or not you listen to the program regularly and you had some transportation right. to this place right i did have some recently? transportation recently to this place 15 years ago today steph curry scored 40 points to lead davidson to win its uh, to a win and its 2008 ncaa tournament opener over gonzaga the wildcats reached the elite eight that season who knocked them out of the 2008 ncaa tournament was it Kansas, Wisconsin, Georgetown, or Maryland? Has to be Kansas. Okay. Were those the other teams, Scotty, that they beat in that tournament run? I remember them beating Georgetown. Didn't they beat Georgetown? Georgetown, Wisconsin. Lost to Maryland the previous year. And I totally forgot that Steph Curry came back to Davidson after that season. Talk about something you don't typically see. All right, Tim. Um. I guess number one, uh, Willis Reed, MB, MVP, Finals MVP, and All-Star Game MVP in the same season. Who did it twice? Jake, he guessed Larry Bird. That's one where you go with the obvious one, right? Michael Jordan was indeed. No. Tim, we appreciate the daily listenership. Enjoy retirement. Uh, the I Dominican Republic was correct. Daisuke Matsuzuka was correct. Uh, Rick Pitino, by the way, began his coaching career as an interim going 2-4 and four in 1976 for the Fighting Rainbows of Hawaii, which I believe, did they be, did they change to the Warrior Rainbow Warriors, right? And now they're just the Warriors? Uh, Kansas was correct. 59-57 at Ford Field in Detroit for Davidson in that 2008 Boy, tournament. Rick Pitino had questionable behavior at Louisville. Can you imagine what he was like on the islands? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, like, in hindsight, I'm like, why did I not look to possibly go to school at University of Hawaii? Can you imagine that? I don't know. Although, if you got homesick there, I mean, you are really you know, in trouble. I think there's a lot of things around you that could uh, hopefully Probably. cure. Have you been to Hawaii? That yeah, we did our uh, did our honeymoon in Maui. Yeah, absolutely. I've only been to Oahu. I've not been to Maui. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it I is could not recommended enough. It is the one place I've always said, Kevin. It's the one place that looks like the photos. You know what I mean? I mean. Without question. It's like, whoa. Yeah. I'd, we'd go back. I mean, our five-year anniversary is coming up in, I guess, next February, but I'd love to go back. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, Did you mention all the other ones? Kansas, he got right? Yep. Yeah. I remember that at Ford Field. 59-57. So, when Curry came back to Davidson, was that like the infamous Chris Kramer, that was, Ronald Norad? Yeah, I think that's right. both of them have their own shutdowns of Steph Curry in that year? That would have been over at, uh, what do they call that, the Wooden Classic, Davidson-Purdue? That's right. Which is this year, right? Davidson played Purdue this year over it? Yeah, because wasn't Cambridge everybody talking about that? It was, like, revisited, right? Yeah. The whole kramer Steph mm -hmm. Curry deal. Yeah. All right, so we will round it out one final time here. Kevin and Quarry on a uh, very overcast and ugly-looking Wednesday. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.